0: Are you okay? I feel like when, once you... I, I was editing an episode and I came across... Uh, it's, it gets slightly buried in the um, in the us talking over each other of it all. Hmm. Uh, but I did... I have just cropped it out just so it's easier to hear on the actual edited episode. But I did hear you say, after my honeymoon, my life has become
1: pointless. <laughs> so um, are you feeling all right? Or... Well, the thing is, after my honeymoon, my life became pointless.
0: Yeah. you got nothing to look forward to. Is yeah. that what it is? Yeah. Nothing to look like forward you've to. Achieved your life goal by visiting some of the locations where they shot Lost. Yeah.
1: What do I do <laughs> <Yeah>. now?
0: <laughs> That's it. <laughs> your whole life was building towards that. You can yeah. visit the
2: location where they shot the photo for Black Holes and Revelations album cover? I got SC in the background.
1: That's in mate. It's in It's on Mars. Mars. No, not Tunisia sure it is Tunisia, actually, I might be wrong. Not Tunis- well, it's definitely not because you can see the earth
0: in the background. Uh, it-
2: so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is probably in the photo then.
0: Ah. Uh, that's true. Well, yeah. maybe. Depends which way the the, the, the earth is yeah, pointing. Yeah, yeah. Well,
1: is, is that that's an interesting point. Is does that make it any less in the photo?
2: Mm.
0: Oh, whoa, that's really interesting. So if I was stood Well, I don't know. You wouldn't like bring out a photo and say, "Look at this photo of Adam," and it's a photo of a tree, but you go, "Oh, he stood behind the tree."
1: (laughs) Well, you are (laughs) in in the photo. You are in the photo, aren't you? But
0: I'm not visible in the photo. Well,
1: visibility is just what the light is bouncing off of. So, technically Mm. speaking, I guess if visible was defined as the light bounced off you and made its way into the lens of this camera, then I guess you're not in the picture. If someone takes a
0: picture of a tree and I'm behind the tree, am I still in the picture? It's that classic <laughs> the, classic yeah. tree-based uh, logic question. Right
1: now, this picture you're looking at of me moving on this yeah. webcam, yeah. is yeah. the back of my head in it? Oh. No. <laughs>
0: And I feel like you would avoid the back of your head being in it because of the thinning hair yeah, back see there. That. You'd see a little yeah. bit too much pink.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Hello and uh, welcome to What Is Music? A music podcast about music. We're a podcast that focuses on discographies in their entirety, doing deep dives on one artist at a time. You join us during season four which is called Is It Rad in Your Head? A critical analysis of the history, cultural impact, and music of Radiohead. We're going through their entire career, album by album, track by track, asking questions like Does context matter when you're listening to music? Does knowing the history of an artist affect your appreciation of their output? And this season, we are, of course, asking Is it Rad in Your Head? And just to be clear, we're asking, is it Rad in your head in regards to the band Radiohead? Not is it Rad in your head in regards to this, the fourth season of our podcast, which is called It is called Is It Rad in Your Head, and which is now in your head. I'm Adam Scott Glass, but I'm a huge fan of music in general. I love the artistry, the emotion, and also the context that surrounds a lot of music. With me as always, is someone who said they don't care about art or critique, does not often relate personally to music, but is a fan of some music, if not the art form itself. It is of course Mr Lucas Way enthusiastic to be here and in the <laughs> middle of that we have someone who can appreciate context art and subject matter but hasn't necessarily explored all the avenues that that has to offer it's steve murphy
2: i want to explore so many avenues good
0: that's cool because that's what we're going to do on this podcast Yay. before we start in earnest exploring those those uh, avenues though
2: to you right now what is music oh uh noise missiles to the brain Mm. Um, sounds.
1: Mm. Any sound is music, really. Wow, we've is really it? moved on from episode yeah. one. That's fantastic. What, a, what yeah. an enlightened view you hold now. Any sounds
0: can be music, Adam. Wow, amazing, Especially amazing. Well, that sound in screams. itself is. Whoa, no, okay, <laughs> oh, he's in a bad place, guys. <laughs> he's in a really bad place. Ah, uh, we're going through the entire discography of band you probably haven't heard of Radiohead last week we talked about how their legendary uh, we talked about the legendary album OK Computer we looked at the recording the songs and the legacy of uh, kind of one of the last classic albums and this week we'll be looking at what happened immediately after that album was released and in order to do that we've all watched the film meeting people is easy haven't we we did yeah it's about an hour and a half long uh <laughs> Lucas I,
2: making his feelings known very quickly there. Yeah, yeah. I,
0: you know, well, you know, let's preface this uh, with just like, can we all agree? And well, Lucas, I guess, would you agree this isn't really aimed at you?
1: <laughs> I guess. I mean, who's, who is it aimed at? <laughs> I don't know. People who like interesting things. People who just, you know, like, oh, I'm not getting into it yet. No. Okay. I hate them. I hate Radiohead now. Right. Okay. Why? Just fucking grumpy, ungrateful bell ends, aren't they? Just fuck off. They come across really
0: badly. In this, in this documentary, don't they? Yeah, I hate yeah. them.
1: Really? Yeah, it really. Is, it's really soured me to the most pit as human beings. So you don't,
0: um, you don't think that, like, you know, that most humans would react that way under such enormous pressure? Oh, I'm or- sure.
1: Are you? Yeah, it's stressful, but also shut up. Oh, you've achieved all your live streams and you're getting paid handsomely Mm, to do it.
2: I disagree. I don't think their live streams was to do any of this stuff we see in in this documentary.
1: If If it wasn't their live streams to be musicians, they wouldn't be doing it. They'd have gone and got a job at Tesco's. It's just, they're just so ungrateful. They're just so grumpy about something that, Sounds fucking great. Right, I don't think there's anything in this movie that made me think, oh, that looks like a good time. I mean, uh, no, no, no. It doesn't look like a good time. But also, Adam, <laughs> Adam, if you could get all of the success in your music and that's your job now, and you get to perform to thousands of people and you get paid handsomely to do it, would you take it? If it was just that, uh, if 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 it didn't come with all the stuff like having to do
0: the endless talking about yourself in interviews, no, you do have to do that. That's the, part of the job, mate. Well, no, no, you then I wouldn't. Sincerely,
1: no. wouldn't do it
0: sincerely i would not interesting and i think what that speaks to is 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 someone who cannot deal with that much scrutiny and you know it would affect that person's mental health uh it would affect that the way that that person sees the world and i think that's exactly what you're seeing in meeting people is easy i mean the title itself
2: is hugely ironic it right is, it is yeah yeah
1: i hadn't even considered it did you yeah. not uh, Oh mate, you don't no. you do look into stuff the same way me and Adam do. Me and Adam <laughs> yeah. like really like to like dig into the like deep, you know, the you know the yeah. meaning of things. And then I turn and up. you just show up and just go. Oh. And I turn up and shit. And it's on got things. nice sounds. It sounds ooh, good. I don't really like this song because it's not enjoyable. Ooh, I hate them because uh, they've got, they're I hate them they're, they just come across really grumpy in this film.
2: <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I I sort of agree with Adam. I came away from this never ever wanting to be in a band. I
1: mean that's that is the reason I'm not in a really successful band. Uh, but having said that, right, I'm just going to be Mister Dickhead, I guess. This episode, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. If it is that awful, then stop doing it. Uh, did you watch the film?
0: <laughs> There's a scene in the fucking like last third of it where they're like, "We've got to stop doing this. I don't want to do this anymore."
2: Yeah. I think uh, that exact scene is, <laughs> is. Didn't watch the film.
0: No, they didn't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they stopped being a rock band. Yeah, they didn't stop being a band. I don't. Think, I don't think the thing they were unhappy about in this film was the genre of music they were performing. Disagree
0: disagree when you see all of those magazine headlines that say they've saved rock and roll and rock and roll is back now that you know we have Radiohead and Radiohead are the world's greatest rock band. I think they became very fed up of being a rock band. And I think that all of the stuff that Ed says about rock being a stale format, that Tom says about the fridge-buzzing nature of modern rock, mm. that uh, the band say about music now being made to satisfy advertisers rather than art, is absolutely about the genre of music that they've died in.
1: I mean, the thing they mostly seem grumpy about is having to do lots of interviews. I th-
0: I think this is very interesting because I think that's what the, the surface of the film is. Yeah, so, yes.
1: so, so it's very on brand then. That, that's, that's and I, my and I think the surface
0: of the film is tedium, 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 tedium. But it's, yeah. it's, it's an exploration of what happens when you take something that was created as art and try and shove it into a wor- world that is like... Led by commerce, you now have to sell something that was originally a purely artistic endeavor. But interestingly, that's not how the film sort of like started out.
1: But again, I've always got the you know I maybe am just uh, sounding like a like a grumpy old man who's saying, "Well, if you if 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 you do something about it," and just sounding like like one of them. But it wasn't a purely artistic endeavor because they released it on a major label and put it out there for people to hear in droves. Like like if they they were completely happy for it to be released to the to the white, you know, there's that thing of whilst all that is true, they did release it though to, on a major label and 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 agreed to do all this stuff. But they released it to uh
0: lowered sales expectations. They released it to studio head saying this is not marketable. They released it to people saying, "This is career
1: suicide." What? So you're so you saying if they if the label had gone, this is going to be a banger. Do you reckon they'd have gone? Mm, don't release it then. I don't know,
0: but that's not the situation that we find ourselves in, right?
1: Yeah, I think
2: the film, although it's kind of on the surface saying how. It's just a bit tedium, tedium, tedium. And the whole thing you said, Lucas, about well, why didn't they just get out? I imagine there's still a conflict, and I think that it does show through in the movie. There'll be a conflict of, I hate doing all this shit around the music. But then you see them on stage, and it cuts back between them on stage and them off stage, and they're entirely different people. And so they're like, I hate being in a band. And then I'm on stage, and I love being in a band. So it seems like the movie, the documentary, has a kind of conflict there of we've got to do this shit to do the thing we love it's
0: absolutely spot on like there's so much exploration of like what happens to artists when the thing that you love becomes a job right yeah there's so
2: much of that in this movie it's um it was the absolute antithesis and polar opposite which are the same thing just said the same by the way. department of yeah, redundancy. Yeah. Department. <laughs> <laughs> which is the opposite of opposite the same thing, mm-hmm, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> uh, to the to the Muse documentary, where they made their uh, time seem so fun and rock and roll and the best time ever. Yeah, it's so different because they chose to put them so And it's interesting that Radiohead then chose to not. There was a really. Um, I am going to try and find it now. Uh, there, oh, there is an interesting comment in the movie about uh, a Pink Floyd documentary. Right. Um, Yeah, and that it wasn't released because it was just them going in and out of board board meetings, moving money around, or something like that. Um, So it's interesting
1: for them to release this documentary. I bet Adam finds. I bet. I bet that sounds really interesting to you, Adam, doesn't it? Like you'd love to know. I can't stand Pink Floyd. Okay, but not Pink Floyd, but just to (laughs) see the real mechanics of the business behind being in a band.
0: No, not at all. No, not at all. And and that that's why I think this movie is so interesting because all of the mechanical stuff of being in a band is really. It's shown to be pretty bleak. I think this film's pretty bleak. And to watch the band get slowly more and more disgruntled with what it is they're being asked to do is really interesting. And it's not really something that you see in a lot of music films. Do you know what this is also the opposite of? Is the Billie Eilish documentary we watched, Mm -hmm. which is a very kind of like, here's the story of an artist from start to finish. And it's kind of, yes, there are vulnerable moments. They
1: show her being unhappy with being forced to meet Studio heads, kids. 100%. Like, very similar vibe of, like, oh, the job bit of it. But it's also very
0: sanitised. And that went through Billy's record label. And it went through Billy herself. And the Muse documentary we watched would have gone through Muse. But it was actually made by Tom Kirk, who's very close to the band. Let's, let's have a little dig into how this film was made. And then we'll kind of go through it. Because there's also a lot of interesting stuff in terms of, like, the things that Radiohead are happy to put out there, just in case of like loads of songs in here that we haven't heard before, which is which is also very interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah there's a lot of uh, yeah, there's loads of stuff that comes up later, and I was like, hang yeah. on, well, spoilers, spoilers for this. Spoilers, I know. Radiohead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was filmed
0: during Radiohead's Against Demons tour, which took in the whole world and lasted around a year. Uh, they filmed from the beginning of the tour. Right up until the last show. Uh, and what came out of it was not maybe your typical band on the road film. We have talked a lot about this film, but I'm aware some people might not have seen it. Um, I think it's actually like a slightly more delicate kind of look at the ideas put forward on the album. I think if there is a visual kind of counterpiece to the album, this album, this, this movie looks like OK Computer to me like all of the montages of the city and transport and constant murmuring of like city noises and people talking people rushing about everywhere it just looks like okay computer i think and that
1: was also something that hot uh really surprising take that's going to really surprise you about me um you didn't enjoy it. i was just like can you get to the business of the documentary please you could probably sh- there's no real business you could probably shave back 20 minutes if you just get if you- if you just get rid of just like shots of trains
0: but that is the business of the documentary, Lucas,
1: well, it's essentially
0: that there are moments in the film where it becomes music videos,
1: yeah, and weirdly music yeah. videos for songs that aren't current to music yeah and nudes. and
0: some that are it's like a whole like mishmash of, of stuff that is' kind of a visual representation of the album that we've listened to, and it's um. It's kind of an inspiration of what it's like to promote an album with that much acclaim and like hype surrounding it. It was directed by Grant G, who's like an experimental filmmaker uh, who had kind of broken into the music scene like by accident. He'd worked on the U two production Zoo TV and Zoo Radio slightly earlier in the nineties. And here's something that is important to note, and it's something that we've just talked about in regards to Muse and Billie Eilish uh, documentaries that we've watched previously. This is Grant G's film. This is not Radiohead's film. It is a film about Radiohead. Radiohead told Grant G to make whatever film he wanted to make. They didn't interfere. Final cut was given to Grant G, and due to the way the film was shot, sometimes the band didn't know they were being filmed or recorded. Yeah, there's CCTV in one point in the dressing yeah, room. Sometimes they pull the CCTV. CCTV. Yeah. Sometimes Grant G would hide microphones in their dressing room to pick up bits and pieces. Um Some like those are the scenes that have no video attached because they're audio recordings only by discrete microphones and some other cameras were hidden. And you're right, Steve. Like you're you're supposed to feel a bit like a voyeur. I think like you're looking at surveillance footage of them getting ready for shows and stuff like that.
2: Is this cinema verite?
0: No. Oh, I thought I was going to be really clever then. It 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 kind of is. It kind of is. The closest the closest um, the closest companion to this, and we've talked about it on every documentary we've watched, is uh, "Don't Look Back." um which I know you've seen Lucas, the uh the Bob Dylan documentary from the sixties. The the huge difference between those two is that Bob Dylan is aware that the cameras are there. So he will talk to the cameras, he'll talk to the cameramen, and he is putting on a show for the cameras. Radiohead got no idea. Also, the record label had no interference. Because Radiohead had negotiated full creative control, like we talked about at the beginning of the OK Computer stuff, uh, that extended to this project too. So Radiohead told the record label to release whatever Grant G wanted to release with their blessing. So whilst... And I think what you have to bear in mind is they probably did have fun on tour, guys. (laughs) They probably did at certain moments. Like, there is a narrative being put forward here, as is the nature of all documentary filmmaking. But it's not from the band, Which is interesting. It's an outsider's perspective of the band.
2: Yeah. And it's interesting that he decided... Because you can see if a band's going through having a bad time that they might want to get that across. It's interesting that an experimental filmmaker would go, I want to get across that it's really shit being in a band. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But you know what? I don't think think what comes across is that it's shit being in a band. I think what comes across is that it's shit having to sell stuff in the modern world. And it's yeah. shit having to be a constant advertisement for a product. Because actually, the camaraderie of the band kind of comes across. Tom comes across as a very difficult character. But mm. as we will see as the movie goes on, and I kind of, I'm going to fold in some outside context that I have, Tom was having a really bad time on this tour, guys. There's one point here where it's the lowest he has ever been in his life, and I think you can. I think that comes through in
2: the movie, right? Yeah. Well, they, like we said, there's the scene where they said, "Let's pack." He's like, "Well, let's just pack it in." Do you mean around then, or when they were filming for? Oh, What was it? They all sat down, they're filming for like um, introducing an well, award. Well, it's like or a bunch, isn't it? They're He's doing like, you they're you doing like do a do job
1: lot. They're doing a few at once, yeah. I think. The <laughs> award. And he turns to Colin because Colin laughs and he goes, Well, you fucking you do, do it, it then. Yeah. <laughs> In the background of all of them, the person that's like, Yeah, I know it's shit, but come on, you've got you to do it. Who is that?
0: <sighs> that's the hero of this movie, my friend. That's Ed O'Brien.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, so it's a Who member is... of Radiohead. It's not like the manager or or, or or their PR or something. It is a member. That's Ed. That's
2: Ed, and it, he's great. He's comes across as the real mum of the band. And I, I I enjoyed seeing lots of Colin actually because he's in it quite a bit more than I expected. Johnny's barely in it. Johnny speaks once, and he's when he's trying to do an interview down the phone. And someone asked him, "Why does Tom hate life?" Uh, yeah, which I thought Tom was York really funny. Life sucks. Yeah, that's it.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> but Colin comes uh, is is there quite often doing a lot of the legwork, which I imagine is because Tom is so fed up that yeah. he does a lot of it. Um, but he, he speaks French and it's great. Yeah, I mean, he speaks French. It, I've got that really radio Yeah, radio head. Yeah.
0: Let's talk about the style of the film, uh, Lucas. We both studied film studies. It reminded me of like of like early cinema. Like, do you remember Man with the Movie Camera? Yeah. It reminded me of that. Just like an insane experimentation in editing and nothing else.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's See of my... how many
0: dissolves we can do. That's a side of my
1: degree <laughs> that I fucking hated.
0: It's so, it's quite interesting to look at, though. I like the juxtaposition of a lot of the images.
1: Uh, Yeah, I just... I've become so... I'm really trying not to just, like, live up to my robot status, but I just didn't care about any of that. Right, I just... because
0: is it because you have you know like you do with all music and all movies, you've kind of sat down and gone, "I want to be entertained."
1: With that, I wasn't sitting down saying, "I want to be entertained," because I I would never have watched it by choice. I was sitting down, going, "I have to watch this. It's my job." Right, but because it didn't <laughs> entertain you, I'm assuming it therefore
0: holds no other value.
1: Well, no, it's not. It's not about it being entertaining. It's just I all of the montages, for example, didn't didn't you know. Add anything for me, so it was just like, I at one point I paused and I was like, "Fuck me, I'm forty minutes in. How am I only forty minutes in?" Because it felt like it dragged, and that wasn't a, and that wasn't an entertainment thing. That was just a, a, a just a simple like, this is. The, I just wish there was. I'm just bored, you know. You want out? I want out. It's
0: it's, it's a slow movie, yeah, for sure. Yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, I have I have an artistic background as well, and I thought this movie kind of looked a bit like when you do a mood board, and you'd get loads of bits and like materials of stuff you think might, and and it was just all stuck together. So when you've got you see like tr trains, and then you've got like text over that, and it looks like you've torn bits up and stuck it all on a thing. That's what I thought it kind of came across. It was very very fucking tough though, wasn't it? It's a tough watch
0: in places. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's not. Like, when you go, hey, let's sit down and watch a documentary about Radiohead, you know, there are no two-camera interviews. I mean, none of the members addressed the camera at all all the way through. Um, there are no talking to the filmmakers at all. Um, there is no text to explain what's going on. Like, like anything that sounds like he might be talking to a filmmaker is actually taken from an interview with a
2: journalist. Mm. Um, I also think that, I, I think I've, I've put a timestamp down, but I think it's maybe not even to an hour and 14 minutes in that you actually see the band talking to each other having a conversation with a conversation with each other. That might be true, yeah. Um, it's always to an interviewer. Um, and then when they have that conversation, it is when he's saying, let's knock it on the head. And he's saying, have we, we've lost a spark, basically.
1: I mean, we definitely got an insight into what Adam has described for the last few episodes of... They're just having a really miserable time of it all. Constantly. The classic yeah. Radiohead fun time. Yeah, that's the what this really, movie we really should, should really be got called. To see the classic Radiohead fun time in this. <laughs> I guess how they're feeling, guys? Not very Bad. fun. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't seem like, like a fun time to me.
0: Regardless of, you know, I think we've covered the quality of the film. I think it's a great film, Steve. I think you're probably somewhere in the
2: middle, and Lucas, mm. you know, you did not like it. What do we, yeah. reg- what do
1: we each give it on Letterboxd?
2: Well, I gave it five, three and a half. And Lucas gave it one.
1: I gave one and a half. Yeah, okay. okay, very
2: charitable of you. Um, my, one, um, my my
1: my one-word review was no. Sure,
0: the, the, that that's fine. But I think I think um, I think to some degree we can all agree that it's at the very least an, a slightly interesting film in terms of the fact that. You don't really see documentaries about any other bands that are like this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean it's
1: on and it's and it's on brand with what you've described Radiohead being. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like you you see a lot of things that are to be
0: used as a promotional tool. Like the Billy one is definitely a promotional tool. And I think this may have actually had the opposite effect. I think Lucas if this was your first experience with
1: Radiohead, you would
0: never listen to them it again. It has
1: had the opposite effect. I I sincerely like them less now.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not surprised. Although, uh, you know, that is weird because I don't actually think they come across horribly. I think they come across as confused and they come across as very mentally unwell.
1: I just think of all, like, the interviewers and people like that and just think oh, you, they must have had such a fucking hard time of getting anything out of these people.
0: How so? I mean, a, a, a lot of the interviews, you know, they're they're giving quite good answers, I think. They're just like, not...
1: When, the when like, I presume there's some kind of producers or someone in the room when he's literally sitting there going, "Oh, this is fucking awful. I just don't fuck the, you know, when they're doing the the." Sorry, we couldn't be here. We're on tour in Japan. Uh, thank you for nominating us. Sort yeah, of, all of that. I presume there's someone in that room who is his job is to get that footage. Right, there's a cameraman. There's or a cameraman yeah. and a producer and a couple other people or someone in that room, and I just think. That's so brazenly, outwardly, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like rude, rude. Uh, yeah. Just like, you know, there's one thing being like fed up or something. And there's like me, if I was in a meeting and it's with someone who's tedious and I just literally in the middle of it went, oh, fuck me. You're so boring. This is so boring. They'd be like, thanks. We we all want to go home. We all want to go home at five PM, you know. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think it's more of like a disdain for the marketing machine, right, than it is for the people that are in the room. Yeah, but I think it's because I'm I I was constantly aware of the other people in the room because it's not private; it's all private conversations. It is them. I think I was very like, oh, come on, just you no, know, have your have your moan, not when you're trying to get through it. But from the
2: sounds of what Adam was saying, he was literally at a
1: breaking point. And I guess yeah. at that point, yeah, yeah, yeah. imagine if you're
2: in the lowest place you... I turned away from the microphone. That doesn't help, does it? imagine if you're in the lowest place you've ever been,
1: you're probably not thinking about that producer's feelings. But I don't know that. Me, me, the viewer, doesn't know that, right? We haven't all got Adam Glassball telling us about the, the, the context of like what was going on in the background. They do now because they have this podcast.
0: I, I do think it's fairly apparent that Tom is not just, you know, like that, I think it's fairly apparent he's having a bad time. Yeah, that scene especially comes after you can. Do you know what? Let's go through it because okay. the the film, like the film, is uh, insane. So like, there's no good way of talking about it. Um, you just have to pick out like snatches or whatever. It starts on a fucking train or something with the, <laughs> or me. something text. maybe. I don't it know. Yeah. That might be a boat. And and f- and fit a happier fit right. Yeah.
2: It was Which um is... it's like the have you ever played Half Life and then you got that train intro when you go into Black Mesa? It looked yeah. exactly like that and I instantly got scared. <laughs>
0: There, are, I think there are funny moments in this documentary. This documentary makes me laugh. The opening when they're doing, you know, you see them doing photo shoots and signing autographs, and then they're doing those like those old style radio IDs.
2: Oh, he's got to, he's doing just listing off all these yeah, different ones. Hi, I'm
0: Colin from Radiohead. You're listening to Voice FM or whatever he goes. Doing. I can't say that one. And what yeah. was it? It was something uh, like Radio Cax. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Radio S. We her. Like, I can't <laughs> that's, do that's is a good how you one. Say it? <laughs> and then he says it's Johnny, but it's still Colin. He yeah. goes, "Hey, it's Colin from Radiohead. I'm blah 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 blah." Hey, it's Johnny from Radiohead. I'm yeah. Blah 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 blah. And then Ed is just like, "Look, if that's you know, if that's what we've got to do, then that's what we've got to do. Just shut up and do it, and I'll do
1: some. Then that's fine." Uh, hearing that that's Ed and not like some producer whose job it or, or some manager whose job it is is to rein in the talent makes me appreciate Ed.
0: Ed's Ed's amazing. Ed's amazing. Like he, I, I love Ed so much. Especially off the back of this, it's a documentary. You then get loads of this montage of clips and like press clippings and stuff of them being the greatest band ever. And OK Computer is here to change the face of music. Um, and it then we get the first gig in Barcelona. It's them deciding what to open with. They decide that saying like the you know the first song should be Lucky because it has the line "We are standing on the edge" and they feel that that is very applicable to where they are in their life. Um, so to recap very slightly, OK Computer was released on May 21st, 1997 in Japan, and the tour starts the day after in Barcelona, as we see here. So the album was not yet out for those audiences. So those initial interviews where they're being asked these big questions and Radiohead either aren't answering Lucas, they're not, either not, giving answers or the answers have been edited out we don't know but they are giving like some slightly vague answers maybe that is all before anybody had outside of japan had really heard the album it was just journalists had heard the album and that montage is all in barcelona as well all of those interviews are in barcelona It's back-to-back-to-back interviews in varying hotel rooms um, with Grant G having to run between them because there'd be four or five interviews going on at the same time with different members of the bands. He'd like place a microphone in one room and then go film another one. Um... They chose to launch the album in Barcelona because they all liked the city uh, and they were there for a few days. And uh, they also found it funny that they had spent the last few years flying around the world talking to journalists and they thought it would be very, very funny to have all the journalists fly to where they were instead. (laughs) They were going to set up camp in Barcelona and just have everyone come to them. Um, And originally, they only knew that they wanted to document that one week just the release of the album and the week that they had in Barcelona doing all the interviews. And Ed had said that nothing had ever been documented about their band. And they felt that that week was important and had no real plans for the footage. But EMI were also very keen to have something documented because they had just had a huge success with the Beatles anthology and were now very keen on like every, all of their big bands because they had the Beatles and Radiohead and a bunch of other bands, uh, Coldplay eventually. Um, they wanted anthologies of all of their bands. They wanted to start making films of them as soon as possible so that in 30 years' time they would have uh, all of this footage that they could go back and make retrospective things on. I don't think that they were expecting something like what we got. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I think they were expecting something probably slightly different. But I also think there's the aspect of table-turning and have the journalists sit there with a camera stuck on their face while interviewing the band like the band have been doing for the past five years Uh, I think the band probably liked that and then obviously Grant G like stuck around and the album comes out in Europe on June 16th 1997 and as we see in the film their first Glastonbury headline slot was on June 28th so the album had only been out 12 days at that point which is uh, pretty interesting I think
2: was that the Glastonbury, the famous? Can you turn on the lights? So I want to see everyone. Was it that? Yeah, and, that? and
0: that's the only clip that we see, right? Yeah, that's the only bit we see of it. Glastonbury is worth talking about. Uh, I think by the time that the episode comes out, the one that we're recording right now, this will have changed. But so far on our podcast, the earliest, uh, this is the earliest in their career that a band has
1: ever had headlined Glastonbury. I think right. They've Wait, all done it. When we say that's going to Oh, because by the time this comes out, Billie Eilish has headlined Glastonbury. Exactly. Well, probably not actually it's cancelled isn't it, Train Strikes. Shut up. <laughs> Radiohead <laughs> were booked off the strength of their second album, knowing that a
0: third was coming. Muse was on the tail end of their touring cycle for the third album. Manics on their fifth album. Uh, Yeah, you're right. What losers? Fifth album? Idiots. Honestly, (laughs) why didn't they give
1: up after number four?
0: Radiohead of Billy. Uh, Those are some of the earliest. But up there is also Stormzy and Arctic Monkeys, who were also both on like two albums when they headlined Glastonbury, which is pretty pretty insane. The show itself, the, the Radiohead playing at Glastonbury 1997, has been discussed so much... People were fucking hyped for it because the acclaim for OK Computer was, like, immediate. People already knew that it was a generation-defining album from what people thought was a very special band at the biggest festival there is, maybe not strictly in size, but in kind of that cultural cachet, I suppose. All the conditions were there for something really, really special. And the band hated it, thought it was awful had a really, really
2: bad time.
1: At playing Glastonbury? Uh,
2: yeah. At, in 97, In because cause yeah. he talks later about how he had like a magical, life-changing experience. It had rained an incredible amount that year, Steve. Uh, actually worse than
0: 2016. Um, the equipment was packing up left, right and centre, and the band couldn't hear themselves. Sometimes the sound monitors were just cut out altogether by like I think the fourth song they had no monitors at all Fuck. um except for a couple of seconds every few minutes or so it would just go bah! at them oh, and gosh. <laughs> and that was all they could hear they were so nervous because it was such a big deal johnny fucks his guitar part in the first song absolutely fucks it that's the first thing Can you tell did. though
1: or does it sound like him just doing a bit of a johnny
0: No no, no you can hear it because tom then laughs yeah. at, right at it into the microphone um a little way into the set I think about six songs in. Tom walks over to Ed and say says so. Um, after this song, I'm really sorry, but I'm gonna leave. Uh, I can't actually do this, so I'm I'm kind of just gonna walk off, mate. I'm really sorry that I've done that to you. And Ed goes, "Well, that's okay, man, but why don't we just sort of like see how it goes just for a little bit? Why don't we just have, you know oh, crack Ed. on just for another 20 minutes or so and see what, see what it's like in 20 minutes?" Ed's
1: Ed's my favorite now: Yeah.
0: <laughs> the, the result of the show as a whole has gone down in like history as legendary. The conditions were all perfect, but Radiohead kind of just smashed it under very difficult circumstances. They were having a bad time. They couldn't hear what they were doing, but the crowd loved it. It's, it's the show that gives them their live reputation going forward. It's known as their best ever show. It's known as one of the best sets ever at Glastonbury. Over the years, in some publications such as, you know, Rolling Stone, Q Magazine, it's been voted as the greatest concert of all time. It's available on the iPlayer right now for any of those who are curious. It's so highly talked about and discussed that we're not going to cover it. I was going to say, is that what we're covering
1: (laughs) as our commentary for
2: this? (laughs) I want to watch it, though. Why not? Um, Emily Evis has also said it's her favourite Glastonbury moment in an interview. we're, we're, We're going to do a different commentary,
0: which also crops up in this documentary. But for Glastonbury, all they show in this movie is one of the, Steve, the very special moment from it, which Tom has since described as one of the best moments of his life. Uh he had like the strobe lights pointed at his face and, you know, Radiohead are, you know, their lighting is very dark and there's lots of strobes and and stuff like that. And so he can't see the audience. He can't see anything outside of the stage. So he calls out to their lighting tech to put the lights on the audience because they haven't seen anyone yet. And when he does, Tom sees like a sea of people stretching back as far as he can see with flares and like flaming torches dotted amongst them all the way up the hill to where the tents are. And he was just absolutely blown away by it like all of these people had come to see his band and to hear him sing and to hear them perform their songs and he was like this is it this is you know this is why i do what i do and i think you're right steve all of the stuff of them on stage for the most part is them completely in it like that's what they want to be there doing and all of the stuff off stage. We never see them say stuff like, oh, we had a great show, and I'm sure the endorphins after a great show are really high. We only see them in interviews and the tedious stuff like that. And in fact, after we see the clip of Glastonbury, we cut to exactly the opposite, which is them performing Creep, but Tom's refusing to sing. Do you remember that? Yes, I assumed that was... He stood there with his arms crossed and he's just like holding the microphone out for the uh, for the audience to sing and he's looking he's bored. He's basically going yeah.
2: blah, 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 blah with yeah. his face <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> classic like stroppy, dramatic Tom. Um, you assumed that that was what, from Glastonbury?
2: Yes, because it sort of just cut straight to it.
0: Yeah, you you don't you don't ever really have a good uh, a good idea of what's going on and when and where in this movie. It's quite um <laughs> quite difficult to to like pass where, where it all is because it's all intercut with so much like all of that stuff from OK Computer, right, Steve? Like you said, like all the travel and the cars and the buses and the trains and and uh, Tom talking about um. I mean this is interesting and I wonder if you guys vibe with this or not Uh, maybe it's just true in the 90s but um, Tom was saying that the British have an inherent distrust
2: of success there's definitely a thing around uh, British people being yeah I've heard that before about being suspicious of success like I, I, I can't remember the example oh it's like if you see a guy pull up in a sports car in England we're most likely to think tosser Right. But in America, someone will go, dude, I love your car. It's amazing. <laughs> is, it-
1: is, that a, is that a distrust of the success of that person? Or is it more that they're just driving a tosser of a car? You
0: know, well, they're like, there's, a, there's a high chance they're a tosser. <laughs> I think that's all wrapped up into the same thing. Right. And I think it's less common now as, as our society has become more and more Americanized. And we're kind of in the same league as America now in terms of worshipping celebrity. But in the 90s, it wouldn't have been as prevalent, I don't think.
1: Mm. Maybe that's me. Um, maybe I'm mildly uh, falling victim to that in the sense that, like, I ranted earlier on the episode of going, oh, so hard that you're having a bad time, boo-hoo, uh, you're getting paid absurd amounts of money to do something that sounds really great, you know? I'm I'm almost doing the opposite to that, where I'm getting suckered into the, but because they're making loads of money... Mm-hmm. They should be having a, they should be having a fun time. Exactly. They, yeah. they
0: are immune to stress and worry and anxiety and depression because they're rich, right? Yeah. Because they're making a lot of money. I mean, that th- that scene is followed up by him like listing that the journalist lists celebrities that had been to Radiohead shows. Tom Cruise is in there, guys. Yeah, it is. Just so, yeah. you, just so you know. But Tom <laughs> Tom York absolutely does not care. He's just like, fine, whatever. I had a good conversation with Calvin Klein about underwear, which I'm pretty sure is a joke that he's making. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, the band toured Europe all the way up until July, when they then immediately started their US tour on July 25th. And it lasted until August the 28th. And uh, we see um, a, bit of a, a bit of a sound check. Um, and he's playing a song that we haven't heard before. And I have a clip. There you go. I thought that was interesting. I've got lots of these little clips for uh, for all the way through of, of of the kind of I guess songs that kind of get debuted in this soundtrack in in the soundtrack to this movie, right?
2: Yeah, so that's how to disappear completely from Kid A.
0: Yeah, which you know because you've heard Kid A now, but yeah, but if you but hadn't, that's interesting
2: because I think you would. He's basically writing it, right? Yeah, because he's like going. So it's quite simple. He's showing the other band that members the song, right? And I remember you saying about R.E.M. how they would do this on tour. They would just write and they would perform songs. And you see that in in this documentary. Like, I think they come off at one point and go, well, we fucked that up. But, we, you know, like, because they tried playing something new. Yeah. Um, But then I think, wouldn't you do that, like, just to get rid of the mundanity? maybe? Like, you may as well try something new. For sure,
0: yeah. And I think he's just, he's folding in a lot of his experiences on the tour into those songs as well. Like the, I'm not here. This isn't happening. Um, chorus of how to disappear completely. We're not going to talk about how to disappear completely a lot because we'll do that, you know, in a couple of episodes time. Um, but again, interesting that I I know, I know they told Grant G to just go out and make the film they want to make, but there must've been some discussion about like, am I allowed to put this in the film? Like, you know, Mm. a, a song that has
1: yet to come out. Um, and it's interesting that the stuff... I really get the impression they don't care. They're just like, yeah. whatever. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because like, they seem pretty happy to play them at gigs or, or you know, they don't seem like a band that care about protecting songs for like a certain release or a cycle. If they've got a new song, they'll kind of play it maybe if they fancy it. He probably thought that was going to come to nothing anyway, like, to be fair. I
2: mean, like it was a... I imagine when they made the decisions of what was going to go out on the documentary or, or they said put whatever you want in it um this he wasn't like this is a song off kid a you can't have it because it wouldn't have been any kind of that stage yet right yeah that's true
0: or was it that's true um yeah and, and also like we've seen them do televised performances where they played like lift a song that never like basically kind of never comes out on
1: an official sort of thing mm-hmm. um uh, recently voted on our twitter to not be as good as lifted <laughs> yes by I saw that. well r.i.p lighthouse Chester. family um yeah. Yeah,
0: we see them on the late show with David Letterman. Uh, we see, well, we see them in the sound check for it, which uh, you know, where Tom is a very salty boy indeed. Uh, he points out that they've had twenty minutes to rehearse spinning a wheel, and we don't get five fucking minutes to plug in a fucking guitar. Which
2: is <laughs> <laughs> is that the performance where they're playing? We see them playing Karma Police. Yeah, is but we right? see that little you... bit b-
0: before where they're setting up, and it's again that sort of like it touches on that, like you know. Um, I mean Tom is a, such a salty boy. Like I'm I'm not gonna sit here and say that Tom is not salty and moody and <laughs> you know, because he is. And I you know, if there's one thing that is hugely apparent from this documentary, it's Tom's propensity for mood swings. Um their <laughs> their management team at the time, like when when he was doing interviews and stuff around OK Computer, it took great pains to mention to everybody, like journalists and stuff, that he was much more well-adjusted now than he had been in the previous few years. And I think what this film does is highlights how awful the previous couple of years must have been for him. I mean, he seems burned out at the beginning of the OK Computer tour, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah,
0: 100%. And And another thing that that happened or was happening to Tom is that he was becoming deeply entrenched in the woes of the world. It's here that he starts to become very well read on things like big banks, global warming, corporations and politics. He spent a lot of time in interviews talking about what China was doing to Tibet. Uh, you know, we talked about them playing the Tibetan Freedom concept before OK Computer came out. And I, but I, you know, that's kind of all, all off the back on that um, sort of... Uh, clip of of tom being salty which i also think draws out the the, it brings attention to like the the value of entertainment over art right like i think that that's a big Mm. thing that that this film is getting at the value of entertainment over art 20 minutes to rehearse spinning a wheel on the david letterman show but they're telling radiohead to hurry up so you know when they're plugging their guitars in i just thought that was an interesting little juxtaposition
1: uh, yeah, so I guess you say about Tom being a salty boy, and that is very—I mean that that value of entertainment over art bit, thing, point, kind of—that is almost what people think of when they think of Radiohead, right? They think, oh, it's that moody, pretentious band that's all like, oh man, so bad, you know. That—that's what the people that the sort of people that would say I don't like Radiohead—they're boring and moody and pretentious. Mm. That's the exact sort of thing that they roll their eyes out, right they go oh fucking yeah oh yeah like get over yourself like oh tortured artist oh like, i mean i art. think yeah. like while simultaneously performing on the letterman show and being paid more money than i make in a year i don't you know, think for that, that one performance i don't think that tom is drawing
0: out the value of entertainment over art i think he's having a go at someone who's told him to hurry up plugging in his guitar i think the film is doing that and Radiohead really, didn't make the film
1: Yes, granted, yes. I obviously didn't know going into this how, uh, what the actual making of the film was, who made it for what sort of thing. I just assumed it was made by the band and, and, uh, endorsed by the band. Mm. It is, well, which it must have been is endorsed capacity, by right? the band. Yeah, 100%. because, yeah, it got released at the end of the day, right? They, they watched it. They must have had a, you know, a, a say. They must have presumably watched it back and gone, I'm happy with that representation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, off your off you, off you pop. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because it's real.
0: I guess it's because this is what they were feeling like at the time, and I, you know they probably didn't feel that way now, and they may not have felt that way before. But it, I think it's a good document of how they felt at the time. Um, and it, it's interesting that they cut, like, like you were saying, Steve, that. The stuff of them on stage and the stuff of them talking about what it's like to be creative and make music is when they're truly passionate and they come across really Mm -hmm. well. And it's all the promotion stuff where they're getting fucked off with it and they come across like, you know, kind of standoffish, I suppose, because we cut from that kind of um, uh, standoff kind of situation with that 20 minutes to spin a wheel and... Not even five minutes to plug in a fucking guitar. And we go straight into Tom talking about how excited he is to consider that he might, like, quote, be one of those bands to somebody. Like when he heard REM or when he heard Susie and the Banshees, they became very important bands to him. And when he sees young people at their shows, he gets very excited that they might mean something to those people and talks about music being imprinted
1: on your heart yeah that bit's nice it's really nice uh, although although does he say i like the idea of that or does he just point out that it's a possibility i'm trying to think does he actually say like it seems like a really nice thing that our music means something to someone or does he just say yeah that might happen with a with no actual m- emotion behind it he
0: was saying that it blows
1: his mind and that it excites him that's true yes okay he was so he wasn't just being a grumpy sour sourpuss in that bit, he was actually. That was a nice bit of like, yeah, yeah, oh, that's yeah. yeah. Nice. And then and then we get the first bit of like proper external pressure
0: on Tom when he turns up to his own uh, his own Radiohead party that's laid on for him by the uh, the record executive to then be called a dickhead by the bouncer.
2: Oh, was that the bouncer?
0: Yeah, the bouncer of the club won't let him in. Because he's saying I'm here, you know, party of Radiohead and the guy's like, Oh, you're from Radiohead, are you? <laughs> Radiohead, creep, creep dickhead. dickhead yeah. and they're shouting at him down the street as he leaves his
2: own party. I didn't know that was his I didn't I missed that. I, I thought it was just people in the street just like being pricks. No, that's that's a guy who won't let him into his own party. Oh god. <laughs>
0: So there's there's all sorts of like reasons why Tom is a bit standoffish. I think, but they're not necessarily that clear uh, in in the movie. Um, outside of the movie, on August twenty fifth, nineteen ninety seven, Karma Police is released as a single, and it charted at 1.92. two.
1: Ninety
0: two is particularly low. And, <laughs> and one is the highest you can mm, get. Yes. <laughs> so um, I guess Steve takes it by being closest. Number eight uh, is is or where Enchanted. Number, uh, number I eight. knew someone had to do it. Um, number eight, September the second to September the fourteenth is their UK tour. So three days after flying back from the US, in that twelve days, they play eleven shows. <laughs> um, you have a day off, mate? I know. Well, this is the thing. This is why it gets to them. Their schedule is insane. On September the 14th, they play the Brighton Centre. And then on September the 15th, they play in Paris. It's an, an insane uh, schedule. Um, but we do see a bit of the London shows. Um, I love that the sound... For the live stuff is never soundboard recordings. It's all just the microphone from the from the camera. Yeah. it's like you're there. It,
2: I, I think it's around this point. There's a there's a great shot of them playing "Creep," um, which this documentary has already already made me feel as tired for that song as they seem. Uh, but of the camera, <laughs> it it in a lot,
0: doesn't it? Like deliberately. Yeah, I
2: think. it's like the camera outside the venue or outside the room, and it's sort of zooming in um, on on Tom, and then and then it zooms back out. And just to get real deep here, guys, but that's like an outsider looking in, like the character in the song. Um, I just thought it was a great little touch that made you feel like the pers- the other person in the lyrics. But like, also it could be like, it, how do I sound not like a real pretentious prick here? But it, it made me feel like it's like the band watching in and just seeing, oh, it's that song. Um, and then it, the way it zooms out again. And it comes back. It's like a dissociative disorder or something. That's what that whole. shot... I loved that shot. Can you tell? I, and I'm yeah, really that's struggling to kind of get across what, um, what I'm trying to that,
0: say. That that shot is is the reason uh, why when we watched the Muse live at La Zenith, I could immediately go, "Oh, it's 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 Le Zenith," because I have that shot, that exact shot, um imprinted on my heart i guess i I know because it's such a good shot and yeah and and it has it has him like really hamming it up he's doing all the strong arm stuff right yeah and he's like uh kissing his biceps and stuff during creep yeah weird weird guy (laughs) and there's a great guy who dances into the arena in that shot really i didn't see that (laughs) yeah it's a guy who walks in and then starts dancing the closer he gets to the music (laughs) that's uh that's great yeah i mean yeah that's um There's also a shot of backstage of a slightly earlier gig that I think sums up Tom really well, is that he gets stopped by the security. And is like, well, who are you then? And it would be very easy for him to just go, I'm Tom York, I'm the lead singer of the band that played this venue tonight. And he just freezes and can't say Mm -hmm. anything. He has no idea what to do when confronted with that kind of, like, I guess there's a lot of demand on him in that moment. And it's Michael Stipe who has to interject. And says like, "Oh, he's he's the singer in in the band that played tonight, and here's my pass, and he's with me, and stuff like that." I thought that was very interesting. Um, but you're talking about the beginning of the French tour, or, or or the the European leg of the tour, the the second leg uh, in Europe. And I suppose it's it's at this point that the the true impact of OK Computer is becoming uh, apparent. It's like huge in both critical acclaim and in sales, and because you know that venue with that shot. Um, that you pointed out Steve Mm. is so much bigger than the ones that we've seen so far in the movie Um, now that they're doing second legs of places they're suddenly doing kind of arena size um, venues Um, there's that thing of them getting the uh, the (laughs) when they're at the, the EMI label meeting and they get their gold records do you remember that? oh yeah and Tom looks so oh, bored. so uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, so uncomfortable, so bored that that like the attention is on him. And then there's a big after party that cuts to like Colin having a drink, Eds talking to some people, everyone's having a laugh, and then it cuts back to Tom on his own in the dressing room.
2: That's the CCTV bit, right? Yeah, and then it cuts yeah. back
0: to the party and everyone's having a laugh, and then it cuts back to Tom on his own in the dressing room.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: I start. I you know I do feel really sorry for Tom. Uh, I I just came out of the the opposite side of this um, to to you, Lucas. I suppose um, he seems very trapped at, at this point.
1: I mean, uh, I'm not. I'm. I don't want to come across like a complete knob. Like I I'm not denying it's been three years of that, mate. <laughs> that I'm not denying they are um, not enjoying doing all the stuff they're having to do. But I just cannot help but roll my eyes a little bit because I'm going to sound like my dad uh, or just a standard 60-year-old man going, <laughs> oh, who's bloody you? I had to walk up the road twice. Right, uh, uh, up, up and downhill, both ways, carrying two buckets of cheese. I don't know what I'm saying <laughs> Right. Right. Um, <laughs> Um, <laughs> he had to walk up and down the road twice carrying two
2: buckets of cheese, Steve.
1: Yeah, buckets he had to walk up and down the road twice carrying two buckets of cheese <laughs> a in his day. Life. Back
2: in the 40s.
1: <laughs> Back in his bloody day. Back in his day before we had fucking iPhones and... and yeah, yeah. and buckets of cheese. And Yeezys. <laughs> anyway, um, to not sound like... To, to To try and not sound like that, but also I'll get accused of sounding like that. Like... I mean, I don't like sitting in fucking boring meetings all day either. But I don't get paid millions of pounds to do it. So, like, you know, I've got that little bit of like, yeah, no one really likes going to work, mate. Very few people really like like going to work. You have to do it, unfortunately. But at least you get to also travel the world, play on stage, make millions of pounds, do the thing that you love, uh, and don't have to like put up with middle management. I mean, they probably do have to put up middle management. Actually, middle management in their case is like EMI. I but...
0: suppose the things that you've touched on there, it's interesting you've touched on that point because they come up directly like ne- next to next to this bit in the movie. One is that they are in no way millionaires at this point.
1: No, okay, but I'm sure they are doing tremendously well for themselves uh, for, t- for, for some young people, right?
0: Sure, but a- as we have also said, doesn't make them immune to mental health issues. No, um, no.
1: That's why I said I'm going to sound like a
0: dick. Also, yes, you have meetings, Lucas. Uh, They're not necessarily all day, every day. These guys don't have weekends. We just said they played 11 shows in 12 days. Those will be surrounded with interviews. Those will be surrounded with photo shoots. Those will be surrounded with other promotional duties. There's a specific bit in this bit of the movie where he says, look, you know, Yes, we get to travel around the world. We don't see anything. We see the inside of a tour bus. We see the inside of the venue. We have dinner in the venue. We play the show and then we're back on the tour bus. Yes. They're not travelling around the world like it's a nice holiday. They're travelling around the world just doing all of these things back to back to back. And, guys, this podcast, right, I find it quite tiring sometimes. You know, we we, we do long-ish podcasts recording sessions sometimes about mm. 3 or 4 hours sometimes longer than that and that wipes me out man Did you say 3 or 4 hours is short <laughs> <laughs> but that wipes that's <laughs> me out short ones. Right? Yeah. right do, does that not wipe yeah. you out like if i had to talk to 3 or 4 hours saying the same things again and again i mean like we do with this podcast but if i had to answer <laughs> the same questions about myself for 3 or 4 hours then i had to go to a venue and try and emote for 2 hours every evening and then i had to get on a a tour bus to go somewhere else that sounds knackering and then you have to take into account the jet lag like when we get further on I mean th- you know their um what was it their their US tour started three days after their European tour finished they don't have time to catch up with themselves and that's why at this point in the movie it's it's revealed that Tom has stopped doing interviews because he just he's too exhausted by them I think it's an unfair characterization to be kind of like, oh, well, you know, they're going around the world, you know, they've got one of the best jobs in the world or whatever. And, you know, when that would be very difficult for someone who has uh, as much mental illness as someone like Tom York does. And I have to say, isn't it really only Tom York that comes across like that in this documentary?
2: that
1: ha- yeah I guess to you that are right. degree largely- yeah yeah I mean that most of the other guys have at least a moment or two of they just similar, seem tired right similar yeah. grumbles yeah but yeah Tom
0: Tom has real issues though like you know like you, I don't think we can accuse him of just that this is just oh he's just an asshole. And I'm not saying that's what you're well, saying.
1: Well, that's that, that that that's you saying that because you're telling us that based on presumably some f- some further knowledge. But like I, random viewer, don't necessarily know that. You don't think Tom right? comes across as quite unwell in this? I mean, it's hard. You can't see that, can you? you that that is just the same. It could be someone fed up and grumpy, or just like I say, or just an asshole, right? Like. It,
0: Wait, you hang can't. on. You don't know that Tom York from Radiohead is depressed?
1: <laughs> like, no. <laughs> really? <laughs> like it's one of, of the most famous, famous things, things about, about... <laughs> him. <laughs> Whoa. What the fuck? You two just said the exact same words. It's weird, isn't it?
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. Is that a quote? <laughs> Tom, Tom, no. no. Are you referencing no, something? No,
0: but Tom York doesn't write, like, these depressing songs because he thinks it will make some money. Or like it's good business he writes them because this is how he feels I mean
1: remember I don't know what the songs are about
0: well and yeah and, and you don't like injecting emotion into stuff so I suppose when you see someone behaving like this your primary thing is to go oh that person must be an asshole." not that person might
1: be unwell no right? that's not my primary you're now tiring me with a mean. but that brush. is what you've done Adam you're being an asshole,
2: <laughs> 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 and he's depressed <laughs>
0: I mean, yeah, look, we had this conversation off mic. Um, if I'm having a bad day, I will probably be curt to somebody in a shop or, or something like that. Um, there, there are all sorts of, there's loads of collateral damage when people are feeling unwell. Um, and I think you're seeing a lot of that uh, with Tom. And, you know, people close to me in my life probably bear the brunt of that. Steve, you've probably bore the brunt
2: of that a lot. Um, you guys the, have borne, borne, borne the brunt of... Uh, and then I did it on Mike with the <laughs> Not Your Enemy episode. It's all right, going... Right, yeah, yeah exactly. Right? And, there you is know, collateral damage.
0: There, there's all there's all sorts of collateral damage. And I think, you know, to then just say, like... You know, I, th- this podcast is very hard. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm Tom York. <laughs> and I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm doing some kind of great creative pursuit. <laughs> But I'm sure that if people knew how stressed I'd get, I get about this podcast and how stressed you guys have seen me get about this podcast and some of the arguments that we've had about this podcast, I think a lot of people would sit there and say, oh, come on, you've got, you know, you're having a great time, aren't you? All you've got to do is sit down and talk about music.
1: Yeah. Grass is always greener.
0: Right. But there's all sorts of external stresses. And, you know. Tom is a perfectionist. He wants everything to go well, and when things aren't going very well, he's not good at um, you know, at this point of his career in 1997, he's not good at coming to terms with that. I don't think, um, when his back's against the wall, he will he will kick out. I think, mm. I think I think that's what you've seen in this documentary. I think I do think it's unfair to just kind of, and I and I completely agree because that you have said like. Maybe you don't completely think that. It's just the thing that came to your head first, is to be like, oh, well, you're flying around the world and doing all these amazing things. Shouldn't you just shut up and be happy about it? Is, is,
1: is unfair to Tom and and, and, and unfair to... Uh... I'm not saying shut up and be happy about it, but there is definitely that feeling of like, you know, uh, of like, but, I, but it could be a lot worse, mate. Some people are really struggling. You know, that like that very sort of... I mean, I think it's because recently, uh, given the current state of the fucking broken universe we live in that i'm just generally a lot more jaded towards people who have it good do you know what i mean yeah but
0: i think you're thinking primarily in terms of finance and yes, cushy and life in, and, uh, because tom york by all accounts does not have it good on the inside of his brain
1: yeah and obviously bear in mind this is in 1990 something i'm obviously watching this with the knowledge that they're still wildly successful in 2022 mm-hmm. Which in which I imagine they all live very comfortably in, you know, and all the rest of that, because surely off the back of being radio head for 30 years. I think he has a net, Tom York has a net worth of about 50 million. Yeah, exactly. Right. So now, and so I'm probably, it's hard for me to again, detach from the fact that we're looking back so far. I'm looking at him and thinking that's 50 million. Yeah. A 50 millionaire, Tom York. Not actually, not actually someone who I'm sure is probably doing quite well, but not a 50 millionaire yet. Right. And and the other the other thing to point out about Tom York is he's not like this anymore.
0: Tom York's well chill now. He honestly really is and he seems to be having a nice time. Uh just, you know, not in 1997. He's and like I said earlier, he's become very aware that the world around him is crumbling. Um and in this movie he calls out a lot of stuff uh that that ends up happening, right? He starts to talk about big banks and the the collapse of the financial uh the the collapse of the global economy
1: right yes absolutely but then um so do lots of people who 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 then who then are just as guilty of being like we we like we essentially like ripped into matt bellamy for for having those sorts of statements whilst also just being like the bougiest bitch in the world you know
0: yeah but matt bellamy does very little to sort of improve the situation whereas we will see radiohead um, embark on completely carbon-neutral tours. Um, nice. We will see them. Uh, you know, we'll see Tom become a climate activist and go to loads of rallies and campaigns around that sort of stuff. We will see them tour with their, where they build their own venue so that there's no advertising present. Um, oh, shit. Lo- lots of stuff like that. They they tend to kind of, uh, you know walk the walk as a you know rather than just talk the talk but i also think that tom is a deeply emotional person and so when he is confronted with all of these things that are crumbling around him in the world i think he takes that very like you know he just feels that very deeply
1: yeah i think from Um, from my side i think it's definitely partially maybe a reflection on my own uh more recent sense of um uh Adam put into words better than me what I'm thinking because you're better at this than me. The,
0: the the huge gulf that has emerged in terms of wealth equality, I imagine. Yes exactly. Yeah. And
1: so I am generally starting to find uh more and more people utterly insufferable now that I previously liked because, because I just hate everything. I think about... it depends what you do about it.
0: You know? So yeah. I look I'm not I'm genuinely not dunking on Matt Bellamy. Matt Bellamy, about the same net worth as Tom York, you know, talks about...
1: All ba- obviously, all asterisks, all based on really ropey yeah, like websites. Networth.com or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um,
0: you know, they're, they're roughly about the same. Um, but, you know, he he talks a lot of talk, but, you know, he doesn't seem to walk the walk in, in, in those regards. Where, whereas Tom does, and I think it's less about the money and more about your reaction to these things. and.
1: You know uh Elon Musk <laughs> well, he's had a massive like fall from grace right yeah. a because a- he's a twat, but also I genuinely think there is an increasing distrust or dislike of people that are just absurdly wealthy mm, yes we're almost reaching a point where now people are going actually i'm not impressed by that anymore i'm not going fuck me you're a legend he's the richest person in the world remember when bill gates being the richest person in the world was like amazing yeah, was like, yeah. oh my god it's so insane how wealthy he yeah. is that's so incredible and now actually a lot of people's attitude is now starting to change to be actually fuck you that's not on probably should probably should give get rid of about 97 percent of that i reckon yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. which I, That'd which he has be good. Like he kind of has pledged to do
0: when he dies right do it now mate yeah i know do it now but like that you know <laughs> he's kind of the halfway point between uh tom york and matt bellamy maybe is bill gates
1: <laughs> you know, I've, I've always said that i've always said that yeah Uh-oh. i mean, I mean uh, uh, it's pretty lame having such scolding cold takes on this podcast because when they're so you know such obvious just old takes as like bill gates is the is the middle ground between matt bellamy and tom york <laughs>
2: yeah yeah it's a
1: bit done i mean come on we try and strive for something a bit more unique than that on this podcast
0: something a bit newer and, and in terms of newer yeah. it's this point of the movie where another new song is debuted see what i did that guys i don't know if we cut to like a, a sound check um where he plays uh, uh this There you go. That's a little snippet of of, of a song that appears at that point in the movie. Um, We should put that on our pin board, really. whether that I,
1: was gonna say, I don't know that
0: one. Whether that comes up or not, I suppose um, we okay. should give it. Let's call it, let's call it "Life in a Glass House." We'll call it that.
1: I'm going to guess it does. It, it does come up again, but it's wildly different.
0: Not everything that I put on the pinboard will come up again, but we'll, we'll just shove uh, "Life in a Glass House" up there. How about that? Uh, it, it's interesting that we do get a little window into how they write there. Like you were saying, um, Steve, like uh, it's kind of just Tom playing the song, and then everyone kind of like noodles around it. Mm. And, and you know, later on in that little section, you can hear Phil putting drums on it and uh, Johnny putting a very mysterious piano part on it where it goes like, doo doo <laughs> Very, uh, <laughs> yeah, very interesting. Um, and then some of the movie acts like little music videos for the songs, but sometimes it's live versions, like... Listening to that live version of Exit Music for a film, but the imagery is all of the neon and lit-up logos of companies in these, like, cityscapes. There's a real, like, tone to this movie. And then it cuts to, like, an extended take of Phil playing the drums, which is, like, great to see. Um, The next, the next thing also seems pretty fucking wearing, to be honest. Like, on November the 3rd, they go to the Q Awards and win Best Album. And everybody goes like, Oh, it must be amazing to, you know, to win best album or whatever this award uh, ceremony is. But they played a gig on November the second, so then they had to fly over from Paris to London to do the awards ceremony um in in the afternoon, and then they went to another European city to play a show that night, on yeah. the third. They were in London in the afternoon, and then they had to fly over to do their sound check in the evening.
2: That's insane. I mean, you say it just flew over by private jet. It yes, seemed, indeed. They seemed so out of place. It yeah, great. Colin and on
0: was, a private jet was really weird. They just looked a bit <laughs> awkward.
2: And then there was, a, you said about this documentary making you laugh in various points. There's a great line. I think it was Colin. I can't remember. And they said about, um, you go, well, we knew we won. We wouldn't have gone otherwise. <laughs> yeah. It was exactly. great. It's such a good line.
1: Do they, is that a thing? Yeah. Do yeah, people know when they, do people know in advance when they've won? Yes.
0: The Oscars don't, but like music awards like that and like the Brit Awards, yeah. Because bands, um, won't turn up if they haven't won sometimes so they the need officers, to say they
1: don't they, they sincerely don't know. they
0: sincerely don't know yeah which is how you get the mistake that year that the best wrong best picture was announced um but um that's great but you do get you you will like hear through like pr agents like oh if you you know you need to come to the brit awards because you've won best album yeah um r- later on in their career radiohead don't give a shit they will win <laughs> best album and not turn up anyway so that's fine um but then the movie goes back to London and, and, and it shows those big posters I was talking about on the tube where it just says fitter, yes. happier. That's a bleak image, wasn't it?
2: It was really creepy,
0: yeah. And then um, straight after the European tour, they do another UK tour. And this time it's arenas, uh, including Wembley. Um, on November 19th in Birmingham. Uh, why did I say it like that?
2: <laughs> Birmingham.
0: Birmingham. Um, Birmingham. Birmingham. Birmingham, London, England. In Birmingham, <laughs> November the 19th, Tom is what is at what he would later identify as like his all-time low. So, before the show, just after the sound check, uh Tom finds a way out of the arena that means that he doesn't have to pass the security. So nobody will know that he's gone. Uh he makes it to the street and he walks for a little bit. He's not really sure what he's going to do, and when he makes it to a train station, he gets on the next train, just intending to leave Um, he did however make quite a fatal mistake and get on the train going in the wrong direction so the train is not only taking him back to the arena he just left but it's also full of radio Oh God! (laughs) and he just sort of resigns himself to doing the show at that point after the show he is in a complete catatonic state he can't talk he just sits and he stares his bandmates are talking to him and he can't reply and he is having uh, a full mental breakdown basically and at this point of the movie you can see the shift in tom a, l- a little bit more as well he just kind of stops talking for a lot of the movie and he looks distant uh in, in an interview wh- like way after way after this tom said i had this thing for a while where I just felt like I was falling through trapdoors all the time into oblivion. I'd be talking to someone and then falling through the earth. Colin said about it, there is nothing worse than having to play in front of 20,000 people when someone absolutely does not want to be there. You hate having to put your friend through that experience and you find yourself wondering how you got there. And the band as a whole, you know, whilst not all of them have reacted in the same way that Tom has, they are just knackered. But, they're halfway through they still have five or six months left of all of their commitments and at that point what do you do i think i think recently we've gotten a lot better with artists saying actually i'm not mentally well enough to do the rest of my tour and i need to have a break and these these shows will be rescheduled and they will be cancelled um but in the 90s this relentless record label marketing machine absolutely would not have let them do that. So they're just trapped in this situation.
1: Well, what I'd love to know, though, what would they have done, though? Because it's Radiohead. Like, would you actually drop Radiohead? What if Tom, if Tom, like, went to hospital or something? Well, if Tom just went, I'm done. I'm, I'm, t- I, I'm not doing the rest at all. We're postponing the rest of the dates.
0: I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 we don't know. We don't know what's going on in 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 Tom's head. But I'm, you know, there would have been a lot of pressure on him to continue with the commitments that they had on on the whole band. You know, there would have been a lot of a lot of pressure. This is, you know, like you said, Lucas. They're making a lot of money, but lots of other people are making much more money off of them. This is a multi-million dollar tour press campaign marketing strategy for this huge album that sold so many copies and is so acclaimed. The pressure must be enormous, right? Yeah. Part of those uh, promotional duties will also be making music videos, so we transition to one of the most arresting images in the whole... (sighs) In the whole movie, first of all, we see the newsreel on Sky News, which is them doing like a fluffy piece about singles that are coming out, and of course, it's no surprises. And they're you know they're talking about that, and while the song plays, the movie transitions to shots of the suburbs and shopping centres and the stuff we were talking about in the like the thing for OK Computer, right? Like uh, all of that imagery that kind of ties into the um, ties into the song, Um, and then of course the actual video is on sky tv and they're calling it music to cut your wrists to the most yeah. miserable tune i've ever heard it's some of the most shite analysis i've ever heard on music to be honest so, like it's pretty awful like, one of them says i can hear him but his lips aren't
1: moving like what, yeah. what kind of what How is does that? that work <laughs> yeah, yeah, unbelievable! <laughs> so stupid, um, isn't it? But isn't it also? It's not like it's like on six music. It's some like real. It's like Sky BBC, News. Like um, it's like one show or something, isn't it? It's some it's real. Their, like, it's their Sky News breakfast show, is what it is. Because they're all brilliant. eating fucking
2: croissants and going like, "Oh, is music to cut your wrist too?" They've obviously got their music guy on
1: as well. Yeah, do you know what I mean to do this section. <laughs> who, who fucking loves status quo?
2: Oh,
0: you know it. You. know Know it. Um it's Dire Straits favourite band. <laughs> but then then we cut to the making of the video. When I nearly had a panic attack.
1: It looks horrible, like horrible, doesn't it? Still don't like it. Still don't like oh, it. Oh my you god. You see
2: literal panic in his eyes, it's terrifying. I mean that was very interesting though. To see I mean I
1: think I've seen Did you realize
0: of... that the, the, that they had sped it up so that he's not actually no, I like, didn't under that. there yeah. for as long oh, as, I knew that. as possible, yeah. 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 I knew that I
1: remember seeing a making of that video fucking years ago before I even really had any concept of what a radio head was. Right. I mean it might have been from this move from this movie.
0: Because the oh, the director know of the music video is Grant G.
2: So there's some there's some crossover there. Um So if if they sped the track up that would mean the footage would be slowed down. Wouldn't that mean that like any bubbles or any blinking would look really in slow motion in the video?
1: Well, it does. Everything does, does look a bit slow. Okay. Well, I a haven't bit seen slow, it yeah. properly yeah, in yeah. a while. So. Um, uh, but also, bear in mind, he was probably doing things fast, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's the move fast, slow it down thing. But yes, things like bubbles you can't really do much about, yeah. obviously. Um, a blink, I mean, blinks are pretty quick, mate. Slow them down. Still pretty quick. I could blink well slow if I wanted to, mate. There's there's
0: one horrible blink in, in the making of where you can tell that Tom is, like, struggling, like, really struggling, and he, like, blinks like he's in pain and then has to pull the cord. So, I mean, if people haven't seen the the No Surprise music video, he's in, like, he's got a fishbowl on his head, basically, and it slowly fills up with water. It's, ho- it's really horrible. He has to, like, hold his breath for an extended amount of time. He fucks it up numerous times. He gets really angry, right? Mm-hmm. When he starts yeah. banging his head against the thing that he's in, it's
2: quite alarming. That's what I mean. I think I think we're literally watching someone have a panic attack at some point there.
0: Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, wouldn't you? Your head strapped oh, in? I couldn't do it. That
1: looks, it looks horrible. Yeah.
0: It looks horrible. Um,
1: I can hold my breath for quite a long time. I'll be all right. Can
0: you? I don't want to dip yeah. into Cruise's territory here, but Tom Cruise can hold his breath for six and a
1: half minutes. That's insane. So, yeah, that's something, isn't it? That's... When I was in the car with Lucas
2: recently, I tried holding my breath in a tunnel, and then I realised how long the tunnel was away. <laughs> I,
1: also, I also slowed down. You
2: <laughs> did, okay, yeah, you yeah. did. One mile you know, You're it, are you?
1: As we got to it, I was like, oh, do you ever play the game where when you drive through a tunnel, you have to hold your breath through the entire length of the tunnel? He's like, no, I was like, he's coming up to a tunnel in a minute, and then I slowed down to 50. <laughs>
0: Uh, We get to see the end of year lists and they're on all of them and then obviously so much more travelling. There is a a song that they're working on in rehearsal that is played. Um, I'm going to play a bit of it because I love it. computer in it it is but it also doesn't you know with a, a couple of adjustments doesn't sound completely outside of the realm of uh of kid a it seems seems like a halfway point almost um that's the only place it ever appears just as a little spoiler that never comes back
2: oh fair
1: uh, it's gonna be on the next album <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> no pin board for that um at the end of that clip you'll have also heard people um complaining about the lights on TV um and this is the show that we're going to watch next week, the Hammerstein Ballroom in new york december nineteen ninety seven and it's more stuff about like art meeting commerce, you know and we will talk about it maybe slightly more in depth next week but um basically they, they they the the producers want the uh the lights a certain way, and Radiohead don't want to uh capitulate to those demands, right They don't want to have big glaring like spotlights on them so that you can see them properly on t v right, they want
2: more ambient. Stuff going on,
0: yeah, exactly. Um, and then Ed starts talking about the trouble with modern rock and radio. They're, they're those sort of things that we talked about towards the beginning of this episode, that how it's a stale format, and and that the music is not to satisfy people but to satisfy advertisers. And Tom starts talking about fridge buzzing, which of course we touched on in in Karma Police. Um, the idea that all of the modern rock sort of stuff just sounds like the noise of of a fridge buzzing and the interviewer rightly calls him out and says like look you were modern rock You're, you know your big breakthrough track was creep and tom's like yeah that was a great uh fridge fridge buzz song um yeah and and then ed uh, like outside of the film ed has has an interesting like quote around this sort of idea of like commerciality um and and especially in in the record industry in the 90s so ed has been quoted as saying that um People underestimate what the general public is capable of listening to. Everything is so heavily formatted, not just in America, but in the rest of the world as well. And what's happened is that radio people are scared to be proactive. There's a lot of good music out there that never gets heard on the radio. It's not above people's heads. People get it. We're people making it. Other people are capable of getting it. We just have to break away from those constraints, particularly the commercial constraints. People have to be braver. I think that's interesting. What do you think? Well, I mean, we know what comes after obviously yes that's a good that's a, that's an interesting point, yes,
1: we obviously know where
2: the album they do next it's hard it's hard to to hear a quote like that and not think, well, okay, computer was so um not experimental and it it's easy to think that because of how influential it was so it's it's weird to hear him talking about that. Because in my head, a lot of the songs on OK Computer are like radio bait. Do you know what I mean? Like, it seems like they were making success, uh, uh, commercially successful songs. I mean, they weren't at the time, right? Because it's very easy to go, well, yeah, but fake plastic trees is Coldplay Like, do you see what I mean? Like, he's talking about um, how it's easy to, uh, we, we should be expanding, uh, people on the radio should be expanding their horizons and be playing weirder stuff. Is he is he trying to get out of the fact that like the stuff they're playing?
0: No, I th- well I think he's talking about like the fear that people have of upsetting advertisers mm. because if you listen to music that's like in adverts, there's nothing interesting happening. Do you know what I mean? Um, and radio, like he's specifically talking about radio play, um, and radio, especially in America, it's radio head. Is- <laughs> it's it's designed it's designed just to sell advertising space. So right. the music on it needs to be the most kind of middle of the road, pleasant sounding kind of music, you know, with with no difficult ideas or sounds introduced because right. it might upset the advertisers or it might cause people to turn to a different station that is playing something more pleasing and therefore they wouldn't be buying the products that are advertised later on in that same show. Yeah, and I think Ed is talking about
2: like we need to get away from that. Yes, while having songs that are played on the radio a thousand times a day, but, but
1: that's now. And I'm just Steve, finding- that seems like an exaggerated number, mate. Like <laughs> I uh-huh.
0: reckon it's not like worldwide. If you take all radio stations into account, I reckon Radiohead oh, were mate, played thousands amazing. of times a day. He might be right. <laughs> 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 and then like and then and then straight after that there's there's Tom talking he's he's kind of he's kind of forming his own backlash against the idea that they're an important band. Did you catch that?
2: I don't think I got no. that
0: bit. I, no. He's he's saying if they're going to call it a concept album or whatever, yes. just let them. It's all just noise. We've we've done our job anyway. Let's just add to the noise.
2: Yeah, let them focus on the concept album stuff and the technology, which I found really interesting because it it seemed like he was kind of distancing himself from those things. But I guess that's what he's saying, isn't it? It's like, we've done that now. We've done, we've said that. They can just talk about it now.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or he's saying that like, look, if they want to, you know, if if they want to interpret it a certain way, that's up to them and has nothing to do with me. You don't need to ask me questions about why this album is called OK Computer, what you know? What technology has to do with this album. You don't need to ask me because everybody's already talking about it. And maybe I didn't intend those things at all. Mm. I think he's taking the idea of artistic intention actually like kind of like away from the album, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. For, for for a band that are so known for being, as you said, Lucas, pretentious and putting all the art back into music or whatever. It's interesting that he sat here um, after releasing one of the you know what a lot of people says what are the greatest art- artistic achievements in, in music and going like no what, what are you talking about we're just making music if people want to say that about it that's fine that's up to them but that's not what we're saying he's just being modest i think he's being modest and he's being obtuse as well i think he's being pretty disingenuous to be honest
1: <laughs> i think he just doesn't want to have the conversation right <laughs> he must be so at this point he must be so difficult to interview imagine being in an interview, and you're excited you get to interview Tom York from Radiohead and then like you go home and your husband or or, or wife, or whatever. It's like, oh, how did the interview go? With Tom York? and they're just like, oh, it was a struggle. Oh, it was fucking dreadful. It was <laughs> fucking awful. Christ. <laughs> I, I want to send you, I'm
0: going to send you a clip from a Kid A era interview in a minute. Uh, you'll like that. Um, but also, these are clips extracted to make him look that way. And if you read, I've read a lot of the interviews around OK Computer, obviously. Tom gives a good interview at this point. He's, you know, charming and he's funny and he does talk about the artistic intention of the album. This movie does kind of have a point to make, I think, right? Yeah. And then it cuts to them, uh, Ed and Phil, going to radio stations to premiere a new song, right? You know when they go on and they give a little bit of an interview and they go, and now here's our new song. Do you, do you remember this bit? And it's 15 Step. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another one for the pinboard. It is, It this is, this is a, uh, I think, a... It's two things. It's a sign of how big Radiohead were, but also how how much uh, more interesting and uh, CD-centric the music industry was at the time. They go on Radio 1 to premiere their new B-side. They're like, Radiohead have recorded a new song and it will be a B-side to No Surprises. Here's the B-side being played on the radio. That's vaguely interesting, isn't it? Very different now, Yeah.
1: Because buying singles used to actually be a thing.
0: Yeah, exactly. And the song is really heavy.
2: <laughs> it's it's like. Do, do you remember the song? Is it the song that Tom saw? You see him mixing up and down sliders, or is that is that come later? You see him mixing
0: it in the old style on the tour yeah. bus, I think it is, yeah. or in a hotel. Room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. is that one. Yeah, I- that I'm one. okay, yeah. how are you, something or other. Thanks for asking, thanks for asking. Yes, 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 yes. yes. It's no, called Palo Alto. I, was... I think we'll probably cover it in in the B-sides. Yes, okay, very
2: good, Steve. Thank yes. you. I- I've um, written here, I imagine a B-side we'll cover later. Yeah, it definitely is, it definitely is. Um, pinboard, pinboard, pinboard. Pinboard, pinboard. Uh
0: Uh, one of the bits that makes me laugh the most in this documentary is uh phil and ed awkwardly sitting in the radio uh station studio while the song is being played on playback and everybody could hear them Uh, everybody can hear the song but it still manages to be an awkward silence and so the dj feels the need Mm. to go you both look remarkably healthy
2: <laughs> <laughs> it really cracks me up. I don't know why. What does that even mean?
0: <laughs> it's just very, very weird. Um, they had to have one more B side for no surprises, and they had a little mobile studio installed on their tour bus. Um, so that's what you can see kind of Tom doing. He's mixing it in the in the way that you usually would because it was still a tape machine that was on, on the tour bus. So he's moving all the sliders, and that's the take that's being recorded. That's how you yeah. would mix songs in the old days. Um, and it was all done piecemeal, so the vocals and the guitar were just done to a click track, and when they could find a proper studio, then they recorded the drums. Very different to how they typically work The fact that they were just doing single instruments one at a time and building the song like that. Ed said it was a cool way of working, like completely piecemeal, but they had spent 12 years perfecting how to play together in a room and that they should stick to more of that. Um, Palo Alto is the only song ever released from the tour bus recordings. It's mostly used for making demos, but without spoiling too much about what comes next. Bearing in mind what just uh, was said by Ed poor old ed (laughs) like he does not get his wish of people playing together in a room at all uh tower lobby floor um and then that's the then there's the scene where they're filming stuff for the awards ceremonies um it is like okay tom you know bad mood etc it's a very awkward shoot you know he Colin laughs at one of the ones that he, he he does and he throws him the bit of paper and says well you do it then they do do them a bit dirty by playing the outtakes during the reward ceremony. I was
2: just about to say that <laughs> I definitely caught that didn't I because then everyone's just like laughing at how grumpy it is.
0: Yeah 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 that's, that's not fair but also no. I love that Ed is like no that was good that was great well done <laughs> I love that.
2: Yeah <laughs> what <a> lovely man
0: <laughs> No Uh Surprises is released as a single on January the 12th, 1998. It reaches... Three. Uh, I reckon it's
1: uh, number 29.
0: Number four. No Surprises. Lucas constantly underestimating the powers of the Radiohead hit single. Uh, All three singles from OK Computer go top ten. Yeah. And then in January, they're off to Japan just before the no surprises uk single in japan they released the running from demons ep um which had no surprises and a few okay computer b-sides collected and one b-side from the street spirit single weirdly and it was to promote the tour there's that awkward johnny phone interview you were talking about steve where the interviewer (laughs) asks him does tom york think life sucks and it is basically (laughs) the only time you hear johnny talk
2: right yeah, it is. It's the only time when he goes when he said when he heard that he goes, "Oh, no, not again."
0: <laughs> yeah, doesn't he seem nice?
2: Yeah, he does seem like a yeah. nice man. Um
0: and I think that that's also a little window into like it must be exhausting having to answer the same things again and again and again because you don't um you don't hear the interviewer on the phone interview, but he does Johnny does go like, "Oh, I mean, this is all written down, isn't it?" Um yes, we were at school together. Like imagine having to just constantly tell people the same things about your life yeah that must be exhausting um ed's absolutely stoned out of his mind uh when he's in that interview where he has to say hi i'm ed from radiohead and you're watching tv wow wow um <laughs> he's <laughs> he is just look at his eyes man he is you reckon uh yeah he's gone um And that's juxtaposed, like you have all these fun bits and they're juxtaposed with like Tom talking about politics and money and conglomerates and the marketplace and economies and crippling developing countries with debt and he calls out the collapse of the banking system in 1998 and he was reading a lot of stuff on that subject, it was very influential to him going forward, especially eventually, no logo Um, but that wasn't quite uh, out yet. Um, Ed then talks about We've got a lot of critical acclaim and the gigs are getting larger, but it's actually very difficult to tell where we are as a band, which I think is an interesting thing. Like, they they must have felt like they were kind of in some sort of stasis, right? Because they're touring an album that they recorded a year and a half ago.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's that's quite a long time, I reckon.
0: It really is, yeah. Aside from that uncertainty, though, and I think, Lucas, you know, you've been... Dancing around this sort of uh, this sort of point uh, for the whole episode. And I have saved it for, you know, where it comes in, in the movie. This is a quote from outside of the movie, though. Aside from the uncertainty about where the where the band are at the moment in Japan, Ed is having a fucking great time. I love Ed. Okay, this is something he said around the time. I came off stage last night in Tokyo thinking what a fucking great job we have playing these great songs and this is what I do for a living. We basically play the songs we want to play. There's no pressure on us now to play songs that we don't like to play. We've got enough material. We've recorded about 60 odd songs in our career and the fan base we have seems to be aware of our B-sides and stuff like that. So we're able to play those. We've done four gigs here and we've played Creep once and that's only because we wanted to. It's a lovely position to be in. That's Ed. Good old Ed good nobody man. is a bigger fan of Radiohead than Ed. <laughs> I love that he acknowledges them as being great songs despite yeah. being in the band that wrote the songs <laughs> I mean you'd like to think that you you'd know they're good right? yeah like i he he has I just like that he has an awareness that like, yeah, we're playing no surprises tonight, and it's fucking great and he yeah, he just nice. loves it. I love him, Ed he's great um a Japanese girl cries after meeting Tom York, and that's me that's what I've written down <laughs> that Japanese girl is
2: me A little Japanese girl so you Adam
0: <laughs> and then we get a little, uh, little uh, sound check again and we get another little new song um, I'm going to play a little bit of it now
2: Take
1: out Tom's vocals. Then that's just "Here I Am" stuck in the middle with you. Oh, I was going to say it was um a Queen song, and I can't remember which one it is. Interesting. Good. Yeah. I mean, it
0: becomes it becomes known as "Follow Me Around."
1: Uh, there you go. I don't know if that's is that a fan uh... naming because it's not an actual song.
0: Um, we'll just put it. We'll put it in the pinboard and we'll label it Ooh, "Follow Me." Full, around. Stick on
1: the pinboard. All right. Yeah, best yeah. have, best, that best be kept up with. You know, good couple of screws. Good yeah, fixings. well, yeah,
0: I will, I will, don't worry. I will, I'll make sure it's nice and firm for you. Well, yeah. let's rephrase that next time. Maybe I'll take that out in the edit. Um, <laughs> it's interesting that the stuff that they're writing in 1998 sounds like that, though, I think. Knowing what Kid A sounds like. Uh, mm. It doesn't sound like Kid A, does it? Without, like, showing our hand no. too much. <laughs> no. Just a little glimpse into what, that like, could have been. And then we, uh, then we get, you know... The full Tom York experience where he's saying things like, everything that's happened after Glastonbury has been a letdown. Um, And he says, uh, you'll become a hypocrite, a liar, paper up your own cracks. And that's what being an adult is. Then you have babies and that's it. (laughs) (laughs) He's really... He's really going through some Is stuff. Is the Then he
2: goes, Oh, sorry.
1: Yeah.
0: And then, <laughs> oh, then oh, he apologizes sorry. to the interviewer. He's like, Oh, sorry. You know, he does have a fairly good self awareness of that. And then we get another new song. They really come thick and fast uh, at the end here. Um, he sound checks uh, another new song, and you're going to hear a little bit of the scene we're going to talk about afterwards because it runs into what I think is probably the most important scene of the movie. Uh, here's, here's, here's another little early performance of something.
2: Hey. We are. well johnny last last year we were the, we were the most
1: hyped fan we were, all you know we we're number one in all the polls and all and it's
0: bollocks okay you know? uh, i just left that little bit at the end because i think we're probably going to talk about that scene a
1: little bit but we should put that in the pinboard first what do we want to call it call it that sounds like radiohead Okay. <laughs> cause that cause that I reckon that sounds that's exactly what Radiohead sounds like, that is. <laughs> that sounds like the bit in Paranoid Android, the
2: the rain down. The rain down. Yeah. Okay, so what, what shall I put it down as?
1: Sounds like
0: Radiohead. Okay, I will. <laughs> um so he can I don't know if you can hear it. I mean, you know, it's a very montagey movie. Not everything is easy to pick out. He says, I'm really worried. We've been running too long in Bravado, believing how wonderful everyone tells us we are. And then someone comes back to that and he says, well, Johnny, last year we were the biggest hype band. We were number one on all the polls. And it's just fucking bollocks, man. Um, and they have a discussion about, you know, should that change what we do? Should we let that external force, all of that hype, should we let that change what we do going forward? And Tom says it's just a complete head fuck and Ed is again being a great mediator here, and Tom says, "I think we should get out while the going's good." And he looks very upset, and very confused, yeah. and very angry. Imagine they had. Well, they—they they, honest, like, honestly, like honesty, they really, they really, really nearly did. Um, you don't tend to see bands like this in documentaries. They're very vulnerable here. Uh, I don't think they come across especially well. <laughs> it's very human. And, you know, there's the toll of the business there. But it also maybe sets them apart, you know, because because we do know that they carry on. You know, it's impossible to ignore that context when you're watching this movie in 2022, like you said, Lucas. It does kind of set them apart as a band who are very aware of not buying into their own hype. A lot of bands, I think, become stale because they have people telling them how wonderful they are. And then they start believing that... And then they just keep shitting out the same old nonsense to sort of like diminishing returns.
1: That's, I mean, that's why we're in the position we're in, right? We just had yeah. nothing but praise showered upon us. Everyone um, went,
0: God, we love that manic season. We were like, God, I wonder if we could just keep doing the same old fucking shit, but with different yeah. bands. And then we
1: released an episode about the Lighthouse family and people lapped stuff, up. And they're like, oh, maybe we yeah. could just do anything.
0: Now. Maybe we could get away with absolute bollocks here. And, you know, to to diminishing returns. Same old nonsense to diminishing returns. Um, (laughs) But
1: but the idiots just keep lapping it up. They're
0: lapping it up. And I think loads of idiots would have lapped up OK Computer 2, right? In the same way that loads of idiots lapped up all of Oasis's music. Do you know what I mean? There's a band (laughs) who did one
1: album and everyone told them how fucking great and they did the same thing for a decade. And then they split up and then they individually went off to go and do the same thing again for another (laughs) (laughs) decade.
0: This scene, though, this is a pivotal moment of the band deciding to just kind of stop doing whatever they're doing um, just because the hype demands that they do it again. Do you know what I mean? And we know that they don't really like do it again. The Japanese fans at the airport who are crying. And again, Ed is lovely
2: all right we'll be back
0: again yeah it's fine you'll be fine we'll be back again in a couple of years oh ed lovely and then they're off to off to australia and it's here where i remember god this movie's fucking long like i know it's only an hour and a half (laughs) but it feels like five hours doesn't it i honestly
1: this really i it felt like a three day long documentary i was like how is this still going and i think that's the
0: point like Imagine imagine this being a year of your life. We only have to do it
1: for an hour and a half. Like, I definitely got to the point where I started doing other things at the same time. Because <laughs> I was bored at that point. So they were in
0: Japan from the 13th to the 24th of January 1998. 10 shows in 12 days. Then New Zealand, three days later. Then Australia, two days after that. New Zealand and Australia is nine shows in 13 days. That is like... That's so intense. And they, they will have been so jet-lagged to go from the UK to Japan and then have to do all of those shows in Australia as well. That is pretty crazy. Um, Tom let slip that the Grammys said that they weren't very good for the ratings, so they won't be performing on the Grammys. Um, And talks about taking on risks and the trap of kind of, oh, well, if my fans love that, we should do more of it. And he also talks about the allure of money in that case, the idea that like record labels would be like, well, you can sell much more if you do the same thing again, or we will give you more money to do more of the same. Um, which I also thought was interesting. You don't see that in loads
1: of music documentaries. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this when we talked about previous albums already. That um, with other bands even, where yeah, it's very easy to do um, a Coldplay right and just. Like, do Origin of Symmetry to Electric Boogaloo? Or do everything must go to, everything must go to Electric Boogaloo?
0: Yeah, it's something we've talked about for loads of bands. Like, you know, we we all enjoy when bands like try and uh, you know, push their sort of uh, sort of limits. Um but it's interesting just to hear like Tom talk about it that brazenly in a music documentary that are usually made to promote the band, do you know what I mean? Um, we cut to a recording studio on the 12th of March to hear them recording a new song. Um, I have a little clip of it. It's, it's a really um, difficult thing to pull a clip of just because the way that it's shot, like... They again do that. They're trying out a new way of recording, basically, because they're on a deadline. They do it all piecemeal. They'll do the drums separately, then they'll do the guitar, then they'll do the vocals. Which I think is, guys, that's pretty much how we kind of assume that all modern music is made, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Very, very un- unlike Radiohead to not just get together in a room and play the song live after rehearsing it loads of times, though. So let me see if I can pull out a little bit of a clip that gives you a decent idea of the song. Just a- That's not what the song sounds like. That's little bits of them recording different sections of it, which is why you can hear the instrumentation change
2: ri- quite rapidly. But guys, that fucks It's very very dark and dense.
1: I reckon it sounds like Radiohead. It I mean, do- it does sound like Radiohead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. I've
2: got, I've got an inkling why, but uh, <laughs> I'll keep, I'm going to hold that close to my chest. Uh, Lucas, I don't want to get it wrong. You like a particular kind of song
0: from a from a movie series don't you doesn't this sound like one of those
1: well hang on now you have to elaborate because you're being very very vague there this sounds like a Bond theme it sounds like a very particular it sounds like a Bond theme it does right I think I mean I guess
0: yeah They, they, they have said that this was their attempt at a James Bond theme Um, But this is recorded for The Avengers, the 90s movie of the remake of the TV show, The Avengers, you know? Oh,
1: yeah. Who was it? Was it Uma Thurman? Uma Thurman, Ray Fiennes, isn't it? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like that... spy. So, so, you know, James Bond kind of pastiche a a, a little bit because it's British spies. So they kind of tried to write a Bond theme. Um, It's interesting to see them working in that way. And I think it shows... How Tom is in the studio as well, where we cut from him going, It's fucking brilliant, man, to another clip of him going, As usual, we've been working all day and all we've got that's any good is the bass and guitar. Like <laughs> oh, pretty
1: yeah. dejected. And obviously but then that's, that's funny, because then other times you've talked about where they've like just like lay it down in one or two goes and they've written like some legendary song.
0: No surprises was like the first take. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah exactly. Um Look, it's
0: a slightly new way of working for them. Obviously, it didn't work because the song did not pan out. It was not on the soundtrack for the Avengers. Um, We'll put it on the pinboard, I suppose, because it's become a bit of a fan thing. It it gets occasionally wheeled out at at gigs, and there's a bit of a story for it. They wheeled
1: out the most random shit?
0: They, um, you know, they they use gigs to work on songs as well. You know, they're a weird band. Are Um, they
1: working on the Avengers theme from 1998? (laughs)
0: <laughs> i mean they were at some point you know it, it all things are above all else Radiohead songs you know anything is up for grabs um so we'll put it um it, it became known amongst fans as big boots so we're going to put it on the pinboard as big boots, boots um uh, boots. sorry just
1: just an important piece of information boots. by the way forgot to mention that sean connery is also in that film i did not know that that's very
0: interesting an actual james bond um yeah OK Computer winning the uh, the Grammy for Best Alternative Music Album, or whatever what is it answered for, meant that there was a demand for a new product in the US. So the band put out the How Am I Driving EP in the US only on April 21st. It's Airbag as the first track, and then some of the B-sides from OK Computer, some of which are shared with that Japanese Running From Demons uh, EP. On the front was a phone number that you could call to tell the band how they were driving. Um, you know, you were greeted with like an answer phone message to leave a message. On the inside was a um, was was a questionnaire, which I I think is is uh, is very interesting. The artwork for this is is very interesting. Again, that idea of art meets commerce. That the post OK computer era is all about, and this film plays into. On the inside of the booklet, there was a questionnaire. It says, "Thank you for choosing this quality product from Radiohead. Mm-hmm. Please help us to help you by filling in this questionnaire." A little Jerry Maguire reference in there, and you, there are numerous phrases that all seem random, and you can tick. There's a little tick box next, a little tick box next to them, and it says things like, "What a clean city." I'm kind of sleepy. Uniforms with your name on. My everyday life thick smoke, no breeze. We plants are happy plants. 200 people faint, hard to breathe. And then there's graphs uh, like and, and like marketing details and things that say, the information you give will be held and processed by upwards of 200 commercial organisations and an unspecified number of military, governmental and non-governmental organisations. And then more questionnaire questions. And then things like the results of this intrusion into your life will be used responsibly in ways you cannot even begin to imagine. (laughs) Of course, the innocent have nothing to fear from the rapidly expanding data industry. Um, Thank you for your time. And all the tick boxes are next to stuff like, everything I do is suspect. A strangler's hands, one of us. Very creepy. um, And just kind of I don't know man Radiohead they're cool <laughs> like the, all of this like anti-commercialism stuff and it's not just cool it's cool for 1998 because these
2: are today's concerns right Yeah I mean it's also quite funny It's very funny just some yeah, of the yeah. things and, It's like satire um, right The fact that is how well yeah yeah exactly and it's just the how, how Am I Driving EP and Airbag is track one.
0: Is yeah, exactly. It's really funny. Uh, the, the front of the DVD for Meeting People is Easy, the Meeting People is Easy is one of the smaller bits of text on the front. Uh, the biggest text, it just says, You are a target market. <laughs> and it has like graphs and um, instructional pictures on how to operate a car and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, all sorts of like anti-capitalism, anti-capitalism, anti um data companies anti advertising anti sloganeering sort of stuff in here but they're using slogans to do it it reminds me a bit
1: of like Street preachers it sounds like something they would do um do we yeah. do we know that that is a radiohead thing it's not you know it's not some marketing company like they, are they hands on enough that that is that has come from them
0: this is all stanley donwood and tom york yeah nice they do all of the artwork themselves there's never no one else ever touches it for the rest of time. Um, At this point they've been touring solidly for 10 months and they've covered every major territory in terms of album promotion so it's back to the USA. The next US (laughs) tour lasts from March 28th to April the 18th. It's 14 shows in 23 days. Uh, In the movie we see an argument that they're having backstage that's not before a show or after a show. That's during a show. What? That is in between them coming off and then going back on for the encore with Tom just being like, I just can't do it. I just don't want to do it. And then people going like, well, you know, shut up. We've got to do it. Um, and then it shows them working on uh, another song in Soundcheck and they played it that night. Um, that That is the last show of the OK Computer Tour, the Against Demons Tour. The last show of the entire world tour is packed by celebrities and you can hear in the bootleg, and there's a really good bootleg, by the way, you can hear how relieved they are to be done. They genuinely sound like they're having a good time. They play a bunch of songs that only ever get played at that show and have never been played live again. B-sides, new songs—they play almost all of OK Computer, and it feels like a real celebration. Um, the new song that they play uh, is is worth uh, bringing up because it sounds like this. <laughs> Hey, there you go.
1: Lucas, you probably recognise that song. I'm glad they sat on that for a few more years.
2: <laughs> what? Yeah. That sounded great. It had like a church organ. Uh,
1: the I, other the, the 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 final version is much more understated and much better, in my opinion. That is very much the okay computer
0: version of that song, I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean that sounds like the no surprises version of um nude, right? Yeah, yeah. One yeah. like of the the twinkly yeah. twinkly xylophony bit is like a is like a no surprises sounding bit. And yeah, it's not as good as. It I mean, I mean, it might, it might also just be familiarity bias, but sure. I kind of land up.
0: halfway between both of you here because I prefer the version that eventually comes out, but I do think that version fucks. Yeah, oh,
1: I'm not saying I wouldn't enjoy that, but I'm just glad that the the the, the, the canon version of the song, uh, you know, oh, it's is, great. It's one of the all time great songs. It's like the version that's on? It's so Version that's on in rainbows.
0: Uh, it's interesting, uh, so we're going to put that on the pinboard as well, obviously, because we know it's that it comes he- up so later, but now. we're going to put it down as big ideas, don't get any, because that's the title it has at no, the moment. It's called, it's called, it's called uh, Nude. And it's called Nude, yeah, it's it's called, it's, <laughs> fine, it's, fine. Um, it's interesting that they walk off stage from doing that, and Tom goes, oh, well, we fucked that up, because yeah. imagine that being the sound of you fucking up. yeah. I'd love to fuck up every day.
1: <laughs> I do. Also, also, imagine worrying that you fucked up on a song that no one knows. They would yeah. know the difference. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and then it, um, it cuts to their dressing room. It's the last show. And you can hear Tom say, hey, chaps. I mean, camera chaps. I think you should stop now. I think it's the end. And that's it. That's the end of the movie. The credits play over a really great performance of exit music um, during a sound check. The, uh, the, the, such a weird end to the movie as well, because you hear you see the whole appear uh, the whole performance, and you're so used to then hearing cheers and applause, and there's just nothing. And Tom just puts his guitar down, and it's just it just reinforces that idea of music as a job. Um, I understand the movie in in its form is not for everybody, but I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in there that probably really effectively highlights the state of Radiohead at this point of their career. What do you guys think?
2: I think that it uh, absolutely did what it set out to do. So therefore, as a Mm. film, it's very successful. I think that it, um, yeah, you come away from the film (laughs) feeling tired and kind of um, downbeat. And that is just what the band was going through, really. Maybe more so Tom... Um, but I just thought it had uh, just just some interesting things to say and some kind of interesting contrast, and it's fairly funny in some points, like you said. Um, I'm not going to seek it out again, but I'm glad I saw it. I thought it was a really interesting insight and uh, a very different way of looking at a band during a certain time, especially such a, a big moment for the band in their timeline, you know. To to see it from that perspective was really interesting. Uh,
0: and you would assume a band that had just released OK Computer would be on top of the world. Yeah. But not if you're in Radiohead. No. Guys. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. Lucas, obviously, you know, the movie as a whole, not for you. What did you kind of think of it? Perhaps, you know, more, um, more generally, the, the ideas that it presented, the stuff
1: we've talked about today yeah i mean like you say so like steve said it's it did what it well we say it did what it set out to do we don't actually know what it set out to do uh, when they first started making it i guess but uh you know it certainly portrayed the thing it was aiming to portray very viscerally Mm. Uh, it's just that the thing that it was portraying not a massively fun watch no it's not at all at times actively unpleasant yeah and quite annoying in a yes, way. Yes, I agree. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I agree. Five stars. Five stars, <laughs> 10 out of 10. Yeah.
0: Because I think it's trying to be unpleasant and annoying. <laughs> Therefore, it's done its job. Um, it's just, when, when they finished the OK Computer Tour on that last date in New York on uh, in April, that's kind of it. In June 1998, they play three shows as part of the Tibetan Freedom Concert Series. They had Michael Stipe come out and sing Lucky for them. Um, so that's like Adam Bate. Uh, and that's it for the OK Computer era. They don't do anything else that year except a one-off gig for Amnesty International in December. They just sort of quietly retreat Obviously, a lot of people were very curious about when another Radiohead album would would come out and how they'd follow up what was perceived to be one of the greatest albums of all time. It's a lot of pressure on the shoulders of Radiohead. And I think that that whole time period was a lot of pressure. Even though the schedule was heavy and intense, it was actually less intense than their Pablo Honey Tour and 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 the tour for the Bens in terms of number of shows, but the size of the shows had increased and the weight of expectation on their shoulders had increased. Um, and that's where we're going to leave them. Uh, because that's the like I said, that's the end of the OK Computer era. Um, before we do go, because it's the end of the OK Computer era, I'm going to turn on my camera. because, guys, it's time for a quick merch corner, okay? <gasps> oh.
1: Merch corner, merch, merch corner, into the corner.
2: Merch corner, corner, the deaf corner, has got to get the CD on the Oh,
1: are we doing that? Am I like the lady singer and you're the rapper? <laughs> yeah, yeah. In Evanescence. Yeah. Oh, I'd have missed the rapping.
2: That's OK Computer oh. on CD. That's a
1: CD of OK Computer, Adam. Uh, oh, yep.
2: great. There you go. Oh, that's... Uh,
1: is this the first no, merch no, corner? Yeah, You've had no merch for any of the other albums <laughs> so oh. far.
0: I believe that I showed you Pablo Honey on vinyl. That's true. Uh, okay, and I believe I forgot to again. do it for the Benz. So. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> so he's showing the CD so inside. The CD, now. yeah. Steve, this is the one you were with me when I bought it. Is it really? Is it still said, work, mate? What's yeah. the still. point? What's the point? <laughs> it sounds depressing. What's the point? Oh, I've got something else here. It's the uh, meeting people Ye- is easy. DVD it's not uh, the lighting DVD not great. standard oh, just
1: standard def yeah oh, ah come on yeah. where's the 4K blu-ray release huge
0: uh sort of stuff there it's, it it it's it's um it's modelled after like a self-help book which is like like if it it's in with the title meeting people is easy Um, And then on the inside cover, it says, if you have been rejected many times in your life, then one more rejection isn't going to make much difference. If you're rejected, don't automatically assume it's your fault. The other person may have several reasons for not doing what you are asking her to do. None of it may have anything to do with you. And it goes on and on like that for a little while. (laughs) Um, Interesting. uh, Radiohead, interesting band. I like them. They're cool. Um, (laughs) But, you know, all of that that we've talked about, was it music? Was that film that we watched music?
2: It was more music than a a normal documentary probably would be. It seemed like one long-form weird music video. Yeah,
0: interesting. Lucas, come down. You know, music or not. It contained nude. Mm. So. Must be. Must be music. Excellent, excellent, excellent. That pretty much brings us to the end, except I was wondering if we did have time for an email. Yes. Okay, in that case, I'm going to read you an email from uh, Jose Velazquez. Hi, mates, from across the pond. My name is Jose, I'm 25 years old, and as of the time of sending this email, the episode on Radiohead's Drill EP has just come out. I've been listening to the podcast since the first episode of Muse came out. I consider myself a big Muse fan, a huge Radiohead fan, and now a very big Billie Eilish fan, but I became more of a fan of you guys and your banter than a lot of the songs you review, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is a poor account of some of the songs then, isn't it? If Christ. the best thing about them is the banter that we've added to them. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I also retroactively listened to your whole Manic season. Thematically and artistically, I got really interested in the Mannix as a band, but musically, let's just say the genre is not for me. Now for my sales pitch for a season. Okay, interesting. I'll try to keep it concise. Mm, okay. With Billy, you demonstrated a willingness to get out of your comfort zone musically, so if I may suggest pushing that comfort zone even further and through the language barrier, my suggestion is Stromae, the French artist. I know you guys probably have the next 20 seasons sorted and planned, but hear me out. The biggest selling point is that he has a very short discography at only one EP and three studio albums. Therefore, it lends itself to another miniseries like Billy's. Furthermore, his artistic experimentation and heavy and nuanced themes make him, in my opinion, one of the greatest writers of our generation. His music is very varied stylistically, so there's at least a little something for everyone to enjoy. Mind you, I only know the tiniest amount of French, and honestly, it's mostly asking for directions to the nearest toilet, but even then, through translation, I can appreciate enormously his lyrics and themes. His background and story as an artist is also fascinating, and not, with all due respect to the other artists, the typical white privileged way into the music industry. Now, I have no idea of your relations slash knowledge of Stromae, but using your internet perspo- personas, a.k.a. stereotypes, I reckon Lucas is still wondering how to correctly pronounce Stroh May and how it is written and getting lost in that thought for ages. Yeah. Lucas, accurate or inaccurate?
1: Um, I get lost in every thought, Great. generally speaking. <laughs> so... I guess it's accurate. (laughs) Adam has listened to
0: Stromae since his first song, followed his career, took French lessons just to understand him, knows his blood type and details of his birth and can sing all the lyrics to all the songs. Come on, what's Steve going to be? Here we go. Steve is wondering what a French is and why we would use a descriptor of fries for a person.
2: I mean... I I mean I'm not a racist. <laughs> He's nailed you. He's what? absolutely <laughs> nailed you, Steve. <laughs> uh
0: I've never heard Streme and I'd never heard of Streme until this email. So I'm going to go and check it out and uh I will report back on the next episode. Um Anyways, hope this isn't too long. Love the podcast. You'll keep doing it until all three of you die, please. Also, Steve, I love you, man. I was just joking with the aforementioned. With great respect from Austin, Texas, Jose. Lovely. Thank you, Jose. I mean, I love that is an lot, incredibly so accurate account of our personalities <laughs> and a, a very, a very nice email to read as well.
2: Um, um, look, look forward to our new podcast. What is a French? <laughs> <laughs>
0: that brings us to the end of another episode thank you very much for listening our next episode is out next Monday and we're going to provide some deeply insightful commentary for Radiohead's performance at the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York for MTV's 10 spot in 1997 despite having cleared up all of the context in this episode so that'll be pretty loose Uh, but before that (laughs) come talk to us tell us what you think of the movie meeting people is easy of this episode maybe you went to a Radiohead show in 1997 on nineteen ninety eight we would love to hear from you if that was the case. We'd love to hear from you anyway and we can you can you can make us hear from you by finding us on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook at what is music pod or on TikTok at what is music and if you'd like to send in something a little bit longer like Jose did, we'll read it out on the show email us what is musicpod at gmail.com. There's also a couple of ways of supporting us financially if you'd like to. One is to buy our merchandise. If you go to whatismusicpod.redbubble.com, you'll find some stupid designs and one cool one. And if you'd like to just chuck us a couple of quid because you don't fancy the merchandise, you can go to coffee.com, which is ko-fi.com, slash whatismusic. All donations are really gratefully received. They genuinely are. They go towards our running costs, and sometimes we'll do something social when we can bear to be around each other outside of these very long episodes. Uh, That about does it thank you again very much for listening but before you go guys do it with me don't leave me high don't leave don't me don't leave me
2: bye goodbye uh, no i it got it closer it, right it was closer time, this time, time.